Hello and welcome to another session of the Corona Investigative Committee, session number 132, called Fireworks. We are seeing everywhere how things seem to be blowing apart. In the good and in the negative sense, people are playing with the fire, experiments are going on. We see all the so-called vaccination proceedings are laden with problems and uh, it's more and more fuses which seem to be blowing off and more people come forward with problems. We also have things to do with, have to do with fires. We have a firefighter with us today who's going to report of what has been going on in the recent past, according to his experience. I'll just take you through a brief abstract of the session. And we have an internist and an expert in biological warfare who is going to report about the Novavax vaccine, the firefighter, a co-finder of a citizen's initiative, and an experimental physicist and retired university professor from the University of Munich, who's going to talk about the harmful effects of magnetic electromagnetic fields, especially 5G. And finally, we are also expecting an, a Canadian human rights activist who will talk about the fireworks that he has um, worked with in the past years. And I have a special fireworks which I would like to like today. We have great news, which is formally we are now a foundation. We were a foundation which is not a legal definition before, and we had the capital binding in the foundation, or which should have led to uh, a prevention of the capital um, not being subjected to any access, being protected, <clears throat> and uh, this is why it didn't really work. And uh, still, we are a foundation now and this holds people who um, are the ones who guarantee for the work of the committee, uh, Stefan Kuhn, Ulrike Halseitzen, Ulrike Kemmerer, and a couple more who we will publish as well. And uh, Wolfgang Wodak is not going to decide about the money, but he's going to decide about the scientific activities and the scientific committee of the Foundation, I'm very, very happy that this was made possible now. It's impressive to see if one door opens, another one, uh, one door closes, another one opens. And uh, maybe some personal blockings have stopped so that we could finally take this step. I'm very pleased. And in the future of the constellation, I am waiting another very, very good news for the beginning of the week, which I will announce soon. And if you want to support us, you can do so. We have a new account. Uh, please look at this. And if you uh, donate regularly, please adjust the account, the destination account. And um, this will carry on with the work of the committee, the investigative committee, and in all agreement with uh, Justus and Antonia, who have indicated that they wish that the content work is with me, only with me, because they don't want to engage themselves personally. 
as uh, they haven't done um, they have been done and up to session 69 and uh, made their statements and they weren't involved in any activities in the background and behind the scenes neither in front of the camera so i'm very happy and um we've discussed uh, this whether we should uh, shower con some confetti or not um, but i want to at least blow this horn to express my happiness so let's uh, go for it and i'm welcoming our first guest dr meryl nass I can see you. Can you see us and here, so me? I can see you, Vivian. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I'm excited to have you here with us. You're an internist and bio biological warfare, uh, warfare uh, epidemiologist. So that sounds pretty impressive. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on your experience? <coughs> Well, I, I trained as an internal medicine physician and I practiced yeah, internal in medicine Indiana throughout my career uh, until my license was suspended in January. Also but in addition, uh, I um, developed an interest in uh, what used to be called germ uh, warfare and then biological warfare. And, uh, and now the agents of it are called uh, gain-of-function organisms. And, of function and I <coughs> explored the world's largest anthrax epidemic which occurred in Rhodesia during its civil war uh, from 1978 to 1981. And I was able to show that it was due to biological warfare. And then um, a few months after I'd finished that project, I published it 30 years ago, um, Cuba was having a, a blindness epidemic. And I was asked to investigate that. And I was able to show, as, as did several other people around the same time, that it was actually due to cyanide and the treatment was cyanide scavengers. Um, so Cuba had a, a very extensive optic and peripheral neuropathy epidemic due to um, low doses of cyanide that poisoned the mitochondria and reduced oxidative phosphorylation or also known as electron transport. And subsequently I've consulted for uh, the Inter-American Development Bank, the Director of National Intelligence, um, and other you know, agencies um, on topics of uh, preventing and mitigating biological warfare. And I've given testimonies to six uh, committees in Congress, in the House and in the Senate, on biological warfare and um, anthrax, anthrax vaccine, and Gulf War syndrome. I mean, this whole anthrax thing, I think we at some point really have to talk about that more in detail because that seems to be like a very wild um, <laughs> story. Like, I mean, all these uh, kinds of things that were involved there, um, also with regards to 9-11, because there was something right. uh, in that, uh, right. you know, timely proximity to 9-11. So that's also very interesting. But maybe that we leave that for another day because you have... Um, um, like quite a bit of experience and also not so um, nice ex ex um, experience with regards to the uh, COVID-19 medications and information that you um, provided to people. I think your license was suspended because of that. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, 
But uh, at first I accepted the government's narrative on COVID and I worked hard to tell people, both my patients and the general public, how to protect themselves. But by the end of March of 2020, I had seen the um, Nature Medicine paper by Christian Anderson and others. And I had seen also this Lancet paper by Peter Daszak and others. And um, by the way, the first author on that Daszak uh, correspondence to the Lancet was a guy named Charlie Kalisher. And I knew that name because when I consulted in Cuba, they told me that Charlie Kalisher had gone to Cuba and told them that they had the right mosquitoes making them susceptible to a dengue outbreak. And shortly after he returned to the United States working for the US government, sure enough, they had two dengue outbreaks in Cuba and um, killed a, a large number, maybe about 150 children. Wow. So, um, so I never forgot his name. And uh, when I saw his name on there, I paid attention. And I realized that both of those articles were propaganda designed to um, push the natural origin theory. I also knew some of the authors of the other paper who had in, also been involved with issues of biological warfare and suppressing the truth about pandemics in the past. And I'd had a, I had a run in with Bob Gary once uh, anyway. So I knew some of these authors and I knew they might not be trustworthy and just discover that in fact they were propagandizing and that obviously there was a reason to try to cover up a lab origin of the COVID virus. And then I started looking into that and um, immediately looking at the same time, looking into the suppression of hydroxychloroquine, which is a drug I'd used a lot, had taken myself and um, I knew that what was being said about it wasn't true. So I started looking into that. I started treating people with hydroxychloroquine and then later with ivermectin. Um, I attended almost all of the advisory committee meetings of the FDA and CDC to do with the vaccines because I know how to interpret what they're saying. And I thought it would be good to have somebody do that. And, and I started, after a while, I started live blogging. So I basically had a pretty good understanding of what was known and unknown about the vaccines. And I started blogging about that too. And so of course, and, you know, and then writing and talking more and more. So I was on the radar of the medical board and they got two complaints random complaints from people who never met me, didn't know any of my patients, and simply claimed I was spreading misinformation on the internet. And the board wrote me two letters and demanded that I defend myself without actually telling me a single thing I had said that was incorrect. And when I asked them, you're asking me to defend myself against everything I've ever said on the internet? You know, when you tell me what I've said that's wrong, then I'll defend it. Um, and they wouldn't. And so we went back and forth on that. And finally, I said, look, OK, everything I say on, in public is, is accurate. And they were desperate to get a real complaint. And none of my patients had ever complained. So uh, finally, they got uh, within a few months, they got a complaint from a doctor and, an, and a nurse midwife 
that I had treated patients who they later saw with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And so they said, aha, you're, you're treating patients with these uh, unauthorized drugs. And so um, now we're going to make a case against you. And I had also told them that because the board was going against its own regulations and had uh, frightened the pharmacists into not dispensing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, they, they demanded that you write a diagnosis on the prescription. And if the diagnosis was COVID, the pharmacists were informed they should not dispense the drugs, mm-hmm. although they could dispense it for other diagnoses. So anyway, I um, was forced with a high-risk patient to uh, lie to a pharmacist, and I immediately then notified the Board of Medicine, look what you made me do. Your policies you know, are to suppress the use of this drug forced me to lie so that I could get a potentially life-saving drug to a patient. And so they said, okay, now you've, that's another charge against you. You lied to a pharmacist, that's fraud and deceit. That's a very serious charge, you know. And in no time, they had a meeting, which was not a hearing, the first time they, they ever heard about me. And they decided I was such a threat to the public of Maine that they should immediately suspend my license. Um, although by law, you have, there's, there's a statute in Maine that tells you what the grounds are to immediately suspend a doctor's license. And they didn't have any of those grounds for me. So instead they ordered a a neuropsychological examination in the hopes with one of their chosen doctors in the hopes that it would show them I had mental problems or was a substance abuser because they needed that in order to justify the immediate suspension, which they'd already, you know, uh, imposed on me. And my attorneys had to file a lawsuit against the board to stop me from going to the neuropsychologist. Because when you're going to their person, you never know what what the outcome is going to be. You never know what they're going to say about you. And I've heard bad stories from other doctors about lies that have been told about them. So anyway, here we are, and now we're finally in, in the middle of a hearing about my license. And board members and the board staff don't seem to know anything about the law and uh, don't really understand what they did and what the r- real rules are, and and we'll see what happens. But I don't think they have any charges that can stand against me. Uh, I, I have not done anything wrong. I haven't broken any laws, rules, or regulations. Wow, it's really amazing. I mean, just for informing people or like for, um, it's in your case, I mean, you, uh, I don't know how that is uh, viewed or to be to be seen under Amer- American law with this, that you lied to the pharmacist, how, how that, um, I don't know how that, how, how that can be determined, but um, it seems that uh, it's quite an intense activity from the board side because obviously they wanted to get rid of your dissenting voice. That seems to be the case. Yes. And it's interesting because um, the board members don't get paid any extra to attend hearings or to read documents. So they only get paid $1,200 a year to be members of the board and probably they get their full salary. But it's hardly worth it to them 
to go after and prosecute doctors, they just lose time and money. So, you know, what is the incentive to do this? They must believe deeply in the need to protect patients and push the government narrative and the NIH recommendations. What they don't know is that none of those recommendations has the force of law. Yeah. You know, they they don't really understand the the legal side of medicine. And they have not been informed about it by the board board staff attorneys. So it's it's been interesting. And before my hearing started, in the month before it started, um, the board withdrew most of the charges against me because they were insupportable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Ah. Okay. So um, now we have. Um, uh, you brought um, for us this topic of the Novavax um, vaccine, so-called vaccine. And because you looked at that more in detail, I mean, it was kind of promoted that it was not so dangerous as the other MNR um, vaccines because it's a different kind of setup. But I think you looked at it and it turns out it's not so uh, unproblematic. Right. Is that correct? So the, so the Nova vaccine, according to the advisory committee meetings that I attended, was being pushed out because it didn't use fetal cells. And the members thought that some people um, who had refused the mRNA vaccine on the basis, or the J&J, et cetera, on the basis that fetal cells had been used in their manufacture would take this, although they estimated only about 10% would of the refusers. Um, and it was marketed as a traditional protein-based vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the company, Novavax, which had never brought a product to market before, was given $1.6 billion at the beginning of the um, pandemic through Operation Warp Speed to develop its vaccine. Mm-hmm. So what they did was use a a unique platform that's only used in one other vaccine um, in the United States uh, called the flu block vaccine, which is an expensive flu shot. And so that platform, that mechanism of of manufacture, uses a genetically engineered baculovirus, which has been engineered to code for the spike protein and a um, fall armyworm tissue culture cell uh, product that then gets infected by the genetically engineered baculovirus. And the baculovirus, you know, eats up, chews up the fall armyworm cells and spike protein is made. And then it is purified to get the spike protein and put that in a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the problem uh, with it is that it's not purified enough so that for every five micrograms of spike protein uh, in the shot, you get one microgram of of material from the baculovirus and the fall armyworm cells. So they get injected also. Ooh. So about... 17% of what you get in the vaccine is, is from the army worm and the baculovirus. And the rest, the 83% is the, supposed to be the spike protein. 
in addition to that, because this is not a, um, a self-replicating vaccine, right? There's no um, microorganism, there's no DNA uh, vector virus, and there's no messenger RNA. That in order to make it stronger, to give you more immunity, they used a novel adjuvant, which non-specifically stimulates the immune system. And the one they've chosen is called Matrix M. Really? Matrix Matrix M is made from the bark of the Kilaha saponaria tree. It is a South American tree, and it's known that bark is known to stimulate immunity, but also has a lot of side effects. The Matrix M adjuvant that's made from this bark is proprietary. This vaccine is not licensed. When a vaccine or drug is licensed, they have to tell you everything about the production process and the ingredients. You have to know all the ingredients. But while it's an experimental EUA product, the company, it's, the company does not have to give you that information. It's proprietary information. And so we don't know how exactly this matrix M adjuvant is made or what it contains precisely. And it's not, it's, um, it's not used in any other vaccines anywhere. It's never been used before. And is this um, this bark, um, you know, this this whatever uh, small part of the bark, or is is that used in any other medical product? Yes. So the so a di a different um, derivative of this bark is used in the um, Shingrix vaccine, which is a Glaxo Smith Kline vaccine. So one vaccine in the United States uses a different product from the same tree. Mm -hmm. And that is known to be a very reactogenic vaccine. Okay, it's very strange. And But we do not know what's in the matrix M in addition. So they just tell us that it's made from the bark of that tree. But right, that's... And, and cholesterol and phospholipids. Mm -hmm. And supposedly mm -hmm. it produces 40 nanometer um, spheres that, um, you know, maybe get into cells. <laughs> But anyway, we don't know a lot about it. And so the FDA um, committee that discussed it said, look, we don't know how effective this is and we don't know how safe this is. And we'll find out after we start giving it to people. So we should give it an emergency use authorization to find out. Mm -hmm. And initially, the company claimed there was no myocarditis, but almost immediately, um, the Australians said that in the trial, there had been an Australian trial of the vaccine, there was myocarditis. So the company had to add myocarditis to the label and acknowledge that that was a problem. Um, As I said, when FDA authorized it, they said, we'll just have to learn about the safety and the efficacy later. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, just a, a small, um, one quick um, remark. So people can send us questions. It's uh, at corona 
www.deutschausschuss.de slash f132 for the session today auf deutsch um, corona-ausschuss.de um, schrägstrich f132. Um, we are, uh, so we just uh, received one question, I mean in general, which um, uh, so-called vaccine do you think is more dangerous, Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna or Novavax? Is there, can you already make like some sort of assessment? I can tell you that in terms of myocarditis, the Moderna seems to cause the most myocarditis. If you mix the vaccines, if you give a Pfizer first and then a Moderna, you get more, approximately double the myocarditis rate than if you gave two Moderna shots, wow. which is unusual and I can't tell you the mechanism. But that has been shown in government data from four Nordic countries, the same thing in all four countries and in different age groups. So do not mix and match these shots, even though the CDC says it's fine to do so. Don't get one shot and then a Moderna second or third. Mm -hmm. Stay with the same one. Um, I don't think any of them are safe. When people ask me, well, if you have to get one, which one you, would you get? I tell them none, because I'm not going to authorize you. I'm not going to bless you to do something that could kill you. Oh, there, there will be spikes anyway in the blood when, if you give it, uh, if the, some of this stuff gets into, into the muscle and you hit the vein and uh, this goes directly to the heart, which is the case in one to 5% of the cases. If you have strong muscles, it's more. If you have less muscles, it's less. So um, I think Novavax has the same has the same problems. There will be spikes and the reaction on the spikes is there anyway, whether it comes from, whether it comes from mRNA and you produce them yourself or whether they are just injected. I think it may be the same effect. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the one difference is that at least you know how much you're getting with the Novavax. With the with the mRNA, you have no idea how much your body is going to make. And that is also true with the viral vector, you know, the Johnson & Johnson AstraZeneca. You don't know how much you get. But the other issue is you don't know how much you're getting in different organs with any of them. So um, they're all problematic. Please, please don't get them if you can possibly avoid it. And if you've gotten them before, don't get them again. And, and what happens is it mostly is an immune reaction and the immune reaction is uh, boosted by, by, this, by those uh, drugs that are added by those additives. And uh, we don't have any experience how this will work. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is a new adjuvant that's never been used in a vaccine anywhere in the world and the humans are the guinea pigs. Um, I think also that we don't, there are different components of these vaccines that can harm you, and we don't know, you know, everything about that yet. But with RNA vaccines, we know that in a state of, uh, where you're producing a lot of um, epinephrine, adrenaline, playing sports, for instance, yes. you're at higher risk of a cardiac yes. arrhythmia after vaccination. And we also know that people who have antibodies to polyethylene glycol, which is not in this vaccine, 
but is in the both of the mRNA vaccines are at higher risk of anaphylaxis, you know, in the first hour or two after you get the vaccine. And depending which study you look at, that risk may be 50 times or 100 times greater than from normal vaccines. And do you know uh, what how what what um, um, what percentage this Novavax um, what the uptake has been like in America is this has this been distributed widely or is it is it just like a few people who took it? So um, I was just looking that up before this talk and I found information from October nineteen a month ago, and they said thirty five thousand people had taken it up. Mm -hmm. But the government had bought, had, had ordered 3.2 million doses. Oh, it's a two-dose series, so that's enough for 1.6 million people. Um, so only, what's that, one in 500 uh, has gotten it. The, now, the vaccine is not made in the U.S., even though the developer is in the U.S., they don't have a manufacturing facility, so they have contracted with India, with the Serum Institute of India, mm -hmm. to make the vaccine and then ship it over here. That was another issue the FDA had. They said, you know, we we looked at vaccine that was made in a pilot lot here in the U.S. We don't know that the Indian vaccine is going to be identical to that. Um, so anyway, let me let me talk about. So if you think of so the government spent. 1.6 billion dollars for Novavax at the beginning of Operation Warp Speed, and they may have given them more money to get the vaccine authorized and, and to get it made in India and tested. Um, so right now it looks like it's costing about if we if no more people get it than what all already have, which is probably 35 or 40 thousand, it's costing almost $50,000 per person. And if, if, if everybody, if all of the vaccine is used up, which would be 1.6 million people, then it would cost $1,000 per person to get the Novavax vaccine. And do we know anything mm -hmm. about expir expiration date? Is that already like that stuff that's sitting there? Is that already... Uh, gone bad? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it will not expire as fast as the messenger RNA vaccines because mm -hmm. of the way it's made. Um, what we do know about the mRNA vaccines is the FDA extended the expiration dates on them. Um, so I don't think the expiration dates are real. Um, and I'm not sure how, how long it has given for these experimental uh, vaccines. Mm -hmm. Because there is no protection by these jabs, there is no effect which could which has any value for medicine. It uh, we can only be happy when there are no side effects because the, those medicaments are too old, and if they if they just don't do anything, people can be lucky. But uh, it's it's there is no there is no rationalism. There is no rational. Um, um, plan on rational uh, reason to to deal with those with the, uh, with those shots in a way we we observe now it's just a big um, scam it's just a big nonsense we do 
And we can only be happy if there are only few people who get it, and if there are only few among those who have got it that have side effects. This is the only thing we can hope. And uh, we have to think how we can help those people who have side effects now. And on the other hand, we have to tell them, the people, what a nonsense it is to hope that those shots could do anything good for them. Right. Um, and we have to remember that these shots rolled out 23 months ago and were already up to number five. You know, how many does the government want you to have? And right now, most of the people going to the hospital with COVID are vaccinated. Um, and, yes. and we're finding the death rates from COVID are higher in the vaccinated because there is an issue of negative efficacy after a few months. So um, there's no reason to take these shots. It it protects you very briefly, and then it makes you more susceptible to the virus. And um, we don't know, nobody knows what the long-term effects are. And the FDA and CDC are hiding almost all the data that tells you what the dangers are. So again, don't please, don't get it. Don't get it. Um, we knew this, that the effect, efficacy is, uh, is uh, negative. We knew this from the clinical trials we, from the beginning, but they have just not mentioned it. We knew that in the, in the control group, there were five people dying from side effects in, with heart attacks, with heart complications. And in the, in the, uh, no, in the, in the Verum group, five people were dying from heart attacks. And in the control group who didn't get the shot was only one person that died from that. And this is, um, so we could have known it from the beginning that there are some dangers which has, have nothing to do with protection or immune reaction against COVID. But it was just the side effects of those drugs which were just uh, not shown to the public and were not, pub were not published in a way that should be published. Right. The clinical trials were not conducted properly. Um, the endpoints were chosen that were useless, which is basically, you know, do you have a cold? And um, there was no attempt made to look for serious illness or transmission. Um, but, you know, the whole thing was not designed for public health, but it was designed to get vaccines into people, no matter what they contained in them. And uh, it, it's such a harrowing story. It, people can't believe it. Can't you can't believe the government would do this, um, and it, it requires a whole new mindset to realize the enormity of what's been done. You know, this this hurting people on purpose. What we can observe exactly this already started at the beginning, and I just you spoke about hydroxychloroquine that it may protect people, but you perhaps know the recovery trials. The recovery studies, which in UK, where they took a dose which was seven five, or eight, that was how much was it? I think eight hundred milligrams. Yeah, and, and two point four grams in twenty four hours. Yes, and this kills people. Yes, and I observed it in the very beginning. I just looked into the into the to the data from from the register the register data register studied, and I thought it, it this cannot be. And then I found out that even they ha they have hidden the possible side effects for uh, for you know for favism for people with a, with a defect an enzyme defect, and they observed in Great Britain 
that a big majority of, of, of those people dying, as they said, from COVID were black people. And in Sweden, the only people that died in that time from COVID were black people. And it was, um, it was um, for me, it was clear that there was this side effect of, of overdose hydroxychloroquine, where it should have been just, uh, they should have been excluded those people, but they didn't even exclude this, the enzyme defect people. They didn't even exclude them in the studies with the high dose. So they really tried to kill people. Yes, 26% of the people in the hydroxychloroquine arm of the recovery trial died. 26%. Yes. Which was, yes. Um, which was about 400 people. Yes. And, and then the, yes. the WHO trial used the identical dose in about 30 countries. Yes. And they claimed they only killed about 100 people. They, they claimed it was, say, it oh. was safer in their hands. And then there was another trial of patients only in the ICU, and they gave them the same dose also, these people who are hanging on to life by a thread. And um, and they killed a lot of them as well. And this mm -hmm. and they did this, that those trials continued at least until June, even though the Brazilians published in early April, around April 10th, that chloroquine was killing 40% of the patients in their trial. Yes. Um, so everybody knew what they were, or the people running these trials knew what they were doing and continued them. I actually, I, I sent emails and, and twi tweets to Tedros and to Anna Maria Hanau um, because the recovery trial stopped uh, on around the beginning of June, but the, uh, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the recovery stopped, but the solidarity trial of WHO continued. And so I wrote to them and said, if you have not disclosed that the doses you're giving people are borderline lethal, you are gonna be liable. And in three days, they shut the trial down. Yes. I tried to publish as as much as I can, as much as I could this, this killing people and killing black people even this was the this was they were much more at risk and this was this was horrible and it was such a lie and it was and they presented those people they killed as victims of covid right i remember this i'm, I'm a, i remember the doctor from from new york uh, from the emergency ward who said oh no this is not pneumonia it is a, if people in a, in an airplane just lose lose their oxygen this is the symptomatic, and it was for me. It was clear this was this was just the erythrocytes uh, being destroyed. What happened from from this high dose of hydroxychloroquine with black people, for for instance? Yeah. So you think it was a glucose six phosphate dehydrogenase yes. deficiency? Yes. This is thirty percent of the black people have it in Africa. Up twenty percent have it in Sardinia. It's it's uh -huh. very frequent. And it's more in men, and more men die than women. It's yes. just it was so typical. It was just, it was just a, a, a killing on purpose, and it had yes. even such such elements of of uh, of euthanasia or of, of how do you say when you kill just a group of of, uh, of um, eugenics. Yes, eugenic. Or eugenic had a, had a characteristic of eugenic measurement, and it was it was horrible for me to observe this. I tried to publish it in Mar in I did it in April already, and um, 
but there was no there was no big uh, I did not get big echo from it. And afterwards, there was this problem that Vodak is against hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> no, I always used hydroxychloroquine with, with, with the rheumatism. I used it with with uh, malaria, and I know the dose. And I was just I was just yeah frightened by what they did with with this overdose, killing people. And I think it was certainly carefully planned, very carefully yeah. planned. They kill people on purpose to frighten us, to yes. frighten the people in, in, in the in the hospitals. The, the hospital people, they didn't understand what was going on. They were really dying, those people. Although they treated them. <laughs> they were dying. Why? They Because they treated them with such a nonsense, yes. And this is it's, when the relatives weren't allowed in, and no one would yeah. tell the family what was going on. And yes. probably the families don't know which patients got the hydroxychloroquine. And the trials were set up to not collect any information on side effects. Yeah. Only to collect how many days they were in the hospital and whether they lived or died. That's it. Mm -hmm. there were, Supposedly there were about, to simplify the trial for the I think there were about, about thousand trials with it like this. And there were uh, eighty percent of those or ninety percent of those trials didn't mention the six phosphatide. Uh, I always mix it up with this Favism constellation. And, and they didn't they didn't exclude the patients. Normally you exclude right. such patients. Right. They did not they did not do it. And they gave people a dose that was about four times higher than normal. Yeah. Um, can I so ask you a medical detective for me? Yeah, I would like to ask a question. So um, with regards to the Novavax vaccine, so we have the same th situation. We have a basically no name company or at least an unsuccessful company, just like we like what we had with uh, uh, basically BioNTech and Moderna. I think they never have put anything right. to the market. So it's the same thing. And in addition, we're looking at studies that are incomplete or having like, um, you know, senseless endpoints and all these kinds of things. So it's the same. It's the same also with that product. Is that can you say that? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a few more questions uh, from the audience. Um, uh, first question is, how do you um, assess the research of Karen Kingston? Are you familiar with her work? I haven't looked at it closely. Um, I think some of it is is definitely accurate, but I I don't know about the rest. Okay. I, so I'm going to withhold an opinion. Okay. Um, do do you, are you um, like from the research you've done before or the um, work you've done before? Do you have any information about this? Uh, how uh, mNR vaccines were used on livestock? Um, also, maybe like what is the mNR vaccine in English? Um, which one? We don't have that in English. So, do you know? Can you tell me what MNR stands for? Oh, um, it's um, it's the modified RNA. Oh, MRP. the RNA vaccines in livestock. No, I know nothing about that. 
because that seemed to have been used. We don't know if it's been used before, but I mean, I think it's more about this idea that it would maybe jump from one animal to the other, maybe this kind of self-replicating idea that you just vaccinate like one cow or a few, few pigs or so, and then they get vaccinated, spreads through the livestock, but that's maybe a different topic. Um, then, so, yeah, you well, go. Um, so in the FDA guidance documents about gene therapy products, they do require for most of the gene therapy products that um, the manufacturer look for sh evidence of shedding. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know anything about livestock products. I know that the US government is looking to use the mRNA platform to make lots of different vaccines. So RSV vaccines, flu vaccines, and then maybe all the other vaccines. I have no idea why they would want to do that unless they want to harm people because um, these vaccines were not available quicker than other vaccines, even though that was the claim. Um, they, the boosters have not been able to keep up with the changes in the variants. The, the booster that was just made and, and authorized on September 1st, you know, that, that variant is now in a minority. So that booster is too old. Um, I, you know, I think uh, expanding to the RNA platform makes no sense. It gives you danger without any known benefit. And uh, I would stay away from them. Yeah, clear. And do you I, think you know about the new uh, um, RSV uh, vaccine they try now for pregnant women? Uh, have you heard about that? Yes, they, it was discussed at the CDC advisory meeting last month. Mm -hmm. What kind of what kind of stuff is this? Do you know that? It's there wasn't also... enough. I, I blogged that meeting, but there wasn't enough information. So it looked like they were trying to get the advisory committee members to um, be ready to approve it. They were in the middle of trials. I wasn't impressed that there was that safety and efficacy data were not favorable that they presented, but um, you know, they're drumming up fears and maybe these are justified. Suddenly we're having an RSV epidemic that we never yeah. had before. Um, they also had a monoclonal antibody that they want to um, administer to babies shortly after birth that it's claimed will give them immunity for eight months. And they had an earlier monoclonal that they would have to give monthly to babies to prevent uh, RSV. And the manufacturer would like to give it to all babies, but very few of them are at risk for a serious RSV infection. So, um, you know, it's crazy. We're not talking about medicine here. We're talking about marketing. Yes, and I think this this marketing. It was in the doctors in such a doctors journal, um, a weekly one, and they were reporting. I think I read it yesterday or the day before yesterday that they were reporting that in one week in northern France there were six thousand cases of babies uh, with RSV infections, and more than two thousand have been hospitalized. So this is. You know, it reminds me of this uh, this growing of cases when they started testing uh, against the COVID and the PCR test, and they could just do the same thing because RSV is very frequent, very frequent, frequent, and in the children they all 
pass through this RSV infections during their childhood. So if they start testing, they will find a lot. Exactly. And if they make it, and if they make it a threat, you know, if they threaten the parents, then with it, there is RSV, like they did with COVID. Exactly. COVID nineteen. And then right. they have they have made you. children have some snotty nose, have some snotty nose, and they say it's RSV, and they send them to hospital. And right. You have all right. those same effects and the same sad stories we experienced with COVID nineteen. We should only come. There is nothing new with the viruses. There's nothing new with the RSV. The only thing that could be is those those mothers who got the shot for, against COVID that they perhaps uh, have a weaker immune system. And the only possibility is that by this, the the antibodies the baby gets perhaps are not so, are, are less. Right, so not useful. This is, this is the only possibility, but I don't know evidence, scientific evidence enough to, to say this. But theoretically, this could be a hypothesis we should look after. So RSV, um, historically, almost always just caused a cold. And 97% of babies, by the time they were two years old, had had an RSV infection and had antibodies. Yes. But Lynn, Lynn Redwood, who's one of the founders of Children's Health Defense, her husband and her son are ER doctors, and they say they're seeing something new with RSV in the babies. Mm -hmm. So it's also possible that an, an RSV has been genetically engineered or has been, you know, created to be a little more virulent or to be more predominant in the in the newborn population. I mean, I argued with her that it was a, a cold, but she said, no, they're seeing worse cases. So, so, but as you said, it could be because the parents are vaccinated and don't have as good immunity to pass on. In any event, yeah. um, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of RSV. It's always been a cold and we never even bother testing for it because there's no, there's no drug treatment. Although maybe now that we know about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, maybe those drugs will work for that, for the RSV virus also. And Possible. we have like one, a few more questions from the audience. Like, uh, do you think that the, um, would you describe the SARS-CoV-2 um, virus as uh, in the version that it was circulating? I mean, all these kinds of versions that, we, that we've seen, are these bioweapons in your opinion? And if so, how would they have been, uh, how should they have been uh, been handled? Well, it looks like SARS-CoV-2. Uh, there's no question that it was made in a lab. I can't tell you when it was released into the population, but um, certainly the response to it was pre-planned. Mm -hmm. And I'll say for sure that the uh, Omicron variant that appeared around November of last year um, almost certainly was made in a lab because we can't find any progenitors. It's genetically too different from all the others. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the monkeypox that appeared this past um, late spring also was probably made in a lab because it had too many um, mutations compared to an earlier strain from 2018 uh, from which it appears to be derived. So those are three that really look like they came from a lab. Some people argue that other variants of SARS-CoV-2 also came from labs. I have no idea about that. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just not that hard to make these things, especially when you can make them uh, particularly susceptible to humans by passaging them 
through humanized mice. And that was almost certainly done with uh, the Omicron and, and the original SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. And HIV, do you consider that also to be a bioweapon? If you have Once upon a time, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time reading about HIV and the literature was so crazy and contradictory. Um, I was never able to formulate a good understanding. So uh, it makes sense that it came from a lab, but I can't, I can't give you uh, a, a, an informed opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last question I see is: um, Does uh, the Pentagon seem to have developed a, a blood, a corona blood tester named by by the name of Chip uh, in 2020? Do you know anything about that, and what's that what's that good for? I don't know about that specific test. I know that the military is always developing tests for potential uh, threats to the military or biological warfare threats. Um, it's not that hard to develop tests for these organisms. The, the hard part is developing a good test mm -hmm. uh, and that, you know, people without a lot of experience can perform in the field, which is what the military particularly seeks. And, um, you know, in the United States, we have 275 different PCR tests that are authorized under EUA. And we have between 25 and 50 different antibody tests that are authorized. And we have no tests that have actually been licensed. So yeah. what does that tell you? The FDA is unwilling to stand by any of the tests. They're unwilling to give us the SOPs, the, the, um, the information about how the tests are, are being run, you know, which polymerase the different tests are using. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is done to confuse everybody. You know, if you wanted, if you wanted um, good tests, you would standardize them, you would license them, and you would get rid of all the bad ones. Mm -hmm. But by allowing 275 different PCR tests into the market, and you go to a store or a doctor's office and get tested, you have no idea what test they're using and and what the accuracy is. And And in published data, they've shown that just from one swab to the next, or even checking using the same swab and doing the test twice, you can get orders of magnitude different results. Um, the PCR is not a quantitative test. So, um, you know, just the, the buyer has to beware. When you get tested, uh, you don't know what you're getting. And there's lots of false positives and false negatives. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's such a complex um, topic. I, uh, Viviana, I would like to repeat one thing, for, or two things. First, I think human beings need those infections. We need those virus infections. We, As a baby and as a child, we have to go through this. We are made to experience all this. And uh, we have, we have afterwards. We have for our life. We have certain protection, and they have a function. Those we co we cooperate with viruses. We live with them. This is a healthy process. Those immunization of children, and this is in, it is there are more than 100 viruses, respiratory viruses. I only speak of them, who whom we contact 
during childhood and where we have where we have immunity afterwards and very rarely children are really seriously hurt by this this is an education process i think more children will die when they go to school be run over by cars when they are educated as if with if they educated their immune system with viruses it is more dangerous and so what we speak about is just that they 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 try to frighten us with normal things we were never aware of but they were always there and this is what they make business with and on the other hand they try to frighten us with those military made uh, viruses with the viruses from the lab my firm opinion is that a virus made in a lab has no chance in evolution if it's really a dangerous virus he will kill his host and how can a virus go on and spread in a pandemic who kills his host it's a stupid virus it's a, it's it's a virus which, which can never succeed so if there should be some cases where you can find some dangerous lab virus yes okay but in the same time as this lab virus is set would be set free everywhere in the world new viruses are competitive competing with this one and they it's not only from wuhan that the virus spreads the virus always spreads from each place where the virus is and it's changing always and it's adapting always to its host and to the immune system so what we speak about is such a narrative which is so artificial and i i can understand that those people who normally try to make the money to sell their very dangerous weapons to governments and said if you buy my weapon this is more dangerous than any other weapon i have the biggest rockets and i have the the biggest bombs you can you can use and now it's just the same in the lab in the one lab and others they have a competition who makes the most dangerous virus and they get lots they they collect lots of money for this nonsense and we pay it from our tax money and they frighten us and the pharmaceutical industry says yes we can make a nice business with this fright we are in such a narrative in such a bloody narrative well it, i i hope we will find i think it's very important that we know people or when we speak with people who just observed how we we live together with viruses all those thousands of years and what they do with us and what, how we need them and how we can can handle them our immune system can handle them we have to we have to we have to speak about the normal and not about this artificial horror stories they present us to sell their drugs we don't need well what else can we add i think that's the that's a good um that's a good closing statement. Maybe I just see that on the the list of things that we um, do, uh, that we could uh, could have or can talk about today. You also had um, an aspect with the the climate narrative that you would maybe would you like to comment on that because that's also a discussion that involves health and heat and <laughs> what's there to say. I think um, for the last 50 years, since um, Earth Day started around 1970, um, people have been told that the planet is warming and will warm to a dangerous level and that it's due to human activity and particularly the burning of fossil fuels and that um, 
the planet will become untenable and we will lose a lot of species unless we do something about this. Um, what it turns out is that we were at a particular, that, that the planet heating actually goes up and down, up and down, up and down over time. And that in the 1960s to 1970, we were at a very cold point. And since then, it's been getting warmer um, along this same sort of sinusoidal curve. And now we're at a point where it's probably going to get colder for a while. And so the um, client, so we have the climate um, apologist, just as with medicine, we have people saying everyone's going to die unless you get a vaccine and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have the sometimes the same people saying everyone's going to die unless we fix the climate. The problem is we don't know how to fix the climate. Um, we don't know that it's possible to fix the climate. When we had lockdowns, there were many fewer cars on the road, much fewer. We had, you know, we had uh, problems with supply chains. We had fewer um, airplanes, fewer boats traveling. And yet the climate, you know, the weather, the temperature didn't go down. We didn't see a dramatic difference. And we don't, we don't have a plan. But the fear of um, warming has has been used to justify all sorts of social experiments. And um, I believe that the same people are involved pushing that narrative, as well as the COVID narrative, as well as the RSV narrative, as well as the monkeypox narrative. And all of these things, if you dig under them and look at what's behind them and what is really happening, you'll find that it's all about obtaining greater control over the people of the world and limiting their activities in various ways. Um, both Fauci, Peter Daszak, and Jeffrey Sachs have said that humans have to learn to live better with nature, which basically means they want humans to be moved into cities and leave rural areas, not, not necessarily all rural, rural areas, but many, leave them alone, leave them to the animals. Because when humans are in proximity to wild animals, they claim that is how pandemics start. And they want less mining, less road building, and less agriculture. Agriculture is allegedly one of the guilty parties in raising the temperature of the planet. So people just need to look at this and see what's behind it and, and that it's a control narrative, not a narrative really about saving any planet. And it's certainly not saving it for us, the ordinary people. Yeah, that's at the same time, those people who are behind they just get get their hands on all the agricultural land that's in, that they can get. The biggest landowner in U.S. is Bill Gates. They are buying they are buying uh, all the land in Ukraine now, or the, the big, big, big farmland in Ukraine. They are monopolizing that. They the Bill Gates has bought all the fish farms in Greece, and so they they just try to use this to monopolize. They tell us. You have to produce less. We need less agriculture, but they gen they gen take it over and they go on. They will go on using it and making money with it and having their monopoles and rising the prices for food if they can. 
this is what they do. It's so it's so clear. It's it's a, it's the oldest capitalistic trick ever. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was quite a, uh, you know, some. If you look at it, it's the same everywhere, and it it really takes uh, takes place in in all kinds of areas of our society. You have this uh, taking over of control, like in, in, in imposing controls in all kinds of places. So, I mean, looking at energy levels at this uh, CO2 uh, thing and the, you know, what you're now supposed to do for your health, it's it's a control grid that's spreading like everywhere and it's run by fear or it's, I mean, the, the, the currency is basically fear in order to get people to play along with that. We stop thinking when we are afraid. This is this is what they play with. We should start thinking again, <laughs> understanding what's going on. Yeah, so we have to put the reptile brain of ours to sleep <laughs> in order to be able to, to make the right decisions. Yeah, thanks so much for um, all that you've told us. Is there anything you would like to add? Have we missed some point or so? Turn off your television and your radio stop watching you know looking at the new york times and the ordinary newspapers and get to the alternative media while you can and try to educate yourself about what's really going on and figure out ways to protect your family and start grow learning how to grow a garden yes, and, and don't pay it with your credit card <laughs> Yeah. Right, because if you use cash, your purchases can't be tracked. They may not be able to be taxed, you know, and we can help each other by trading with cash and refusing to use digital forms of money because that is the best way for them to entrap us all. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, thanks so much. A lot of Thank you. new insight and food for thought. And um, yeah. Thank you, Meryl, very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Wolfgang. Thank you. Yeah, that's why um, Dr. Meryl Ness. She is an uh, internistin and kennt sich mit. Uh, uh, Dr. Meryl Ness. Um, she's an internist and knows about uh, biological warfare. And she taught us a lot about uh, Novavax, particularly, which is a lot of food for thought. Um, uh, it hadn't affected too many people in North America or elsewhere because it hadn't been adopted very well by people willing to um, be vaccinated, but nevertheless, um, it's a large number of people who probably suffer from the consequences now. So we have to take a closer look at this. And above all, it is not a harmless alternative to the other mRNA vaccines, so-called vaccines. Well, it should uh, stay on the shelves. And uh, it's a pity that there was such a lot of tax money spent on it. And this is always the scandal that um, they buy the big lots and throw the money out the window before they actually know whether it's effective. Yeah, like the swine flu, That's uh, that was the vaccine that uh, was like a shelf warmer as well and yeah, had to be thank thrown God. out. Thank God we can say the doctors protected us from that. And that seems to be, that protection seems to be eliminated. We can't depend on them. There's loads of people who still use it, and uh, too bad. 
Well, maybe we'll see uh, a change going forward. It's becoming ever more clear uh, what is, what's happening. So many more people may stay away from it. Uh, people are no longer convinced by it. More and more people say, I won't have anything to do with it anymore. Well, if you get your boosters, you can, uh, from the government here, it's not going to protect you. I don't know why people still, still run for it and uh, get it. It's, uh, it's uh, incomprehensible to me. Yeah, it's amazing, but so be it. Well, we now have two more guests. If I may ask you over, we have on the one hand Sabrina Kolmorgan, uh, who was with us last week as well, <coughs> an intensive uh, nurse, ICU nurse, um, former ICU uh, nurse, she left this uh, profession, and Martin Trollenberg, a professional firefighter. Uh, I mentioned that um, this session is called Fireworks, even though um, only um, paramaniacs um, create a, a great fireworks but we do hope that uh, too many blazes don't break out uh, due to fireworks uh, whenever they happen so you're a co-founder of the citizens initiative the blue lights maybe you can tell us something about uh, yourself personally and uh, what your experience is with the crisis yes happy as you've said i'm a professional firefighter for many years and many years in berlin as well but for private reasons family reasons i left the city and i'm in a certain way still connected to the city of berlin and that's why i can be here and i thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to speak on behalf of my colleagues it's a great honor for me um i have to say i don't talk for the firefighters but for the critical civil servants uh, in the country um, there are some who don't appreciate what's going on and i am one of the founders of this initiative in the end of last year really only uh, from personal affection as we know you were in fear i was in fear all of us were in fear it did work and uh, when our child got sick and this procedure happened with uh, tests and masking and all these things and we as parents um, had to take our distance from the child so uh, the children had to separate uh, isolate within the um, flat yeah. so yes and we did all the measures uh, separating disinfect everything and masking and so on and still everybody got sick and the fear got bigger and bigger until we were all sick and then we all had a flu and that is what it was in the end we would we just had a cold with the normal symptoms and the typical symptoms that you have if you have a flu and that got rid of the fear and uh we abolished the measures because for us as healthy people we found out it is nonsense and uh, you just get sick you get better and that's it of course we had to report it and the health authorities were in our house but that was the initiation to what are they telling us we all have the bergamo images and these horrible uh, reports and that somehow didn't match and then we had the first idea of something's wrong and then 
So when did you come up with this, or when did you feel that? It was in October last year, really. And then, as I took a different view and listened different to people and to the reportings, uh, we took a closer look also with our uh, friends, relatives, colleagues uh, who were in the ambulances uh, talking about dramatic scenes of diseases that they hadn't seen before. And that was, of course, the vaccination campaigns had started. So there's always the correlation that can't be, wasn't allowed to be drawn, but um, one example was that if a healthy 12-year-old child, five days after the injection, um, loses her sight, it's not a natural disease without any uh, pre-diseases. Uh, pre so, and this happened more and more, and um, one of my companions is a uh, director, so he's got a good idea of what happened. The keywords of the people calling the ambulances, that was very, very concerning. And so, um, of course, you start to ask questions to avoid further damage. And that didn't happen. Uh, so, we, if you talk to emergency doctors, as the direct reports that got to me, and that personally activated me, saying, we have to do something. Of course, the first thing that you do is you go to a street rally and just look at the people on the streets. And it, um, it, it turned out that demonstrations are a good place to share your concerns. And I was, for the first time in my life, at a demonstration. Nobody would have got me there otherwise. But uh, given the situation, I thought that was necessary. And then um, the networking started, and we got the confirmation. It's not just our uh, observation, but many people see this, especially from the health professionals, um, the emergency services um, started to share ideas and it got more and more dramatic. And now we followed up the demonstrations in our regions, and we had to note that the media specifically turned a black light on those typical framing, and that annoyed me and irritated me personally. I'm a very decent citizen. I've been working for the army for 12 years. I have a very democratic understanding. I'm with both feet on the uh, democratic grounds, and I stand up for that, and especially as a firefighter, as far as health is concerned. And these things, to my understanding, were kicked in the boot. And uh, people who share their concerns and make clear and speak out to protect others, not only against the health risks, but the democratical damage which is being done, they were simply defamed, stigmatized, put into a corner where they don't belong. And this is how our initiative started, saying we have to speak out the firefighters, the health professionals, and we have to protect the citizens in a symbolic way. 
and the blue lights um, refers to everybody uh, that have blue lights the police fire brigade etc yes all the blue light professions of course we thought on how to make this clear uh, police obviously is more in the background uh, because within their authorities they have quite different structures which um, will be subject to problems for earlier than we would right now what about the multiplication of cases uh, so that the, the, that uh, the control center uh, received are there more unusual events with children or whatever well as i said that was a subjective uh, view but um, i have brought a piece of uh, writing here from some of the spd who actually supports uh, the things and uh, putting things to daylight and there is uh, figures here of um, heart attacks and 2018 and 19 they were quite close together and from 2020 we noted that we saw an increase which were 12.4 percent 12.9 strokes and heart attacks um, and then with the start of the vaccinations, it was uh, in 21, we saw um, an increase to 31.2% uh, and strokes was uh, 27%, so a clear increase. And so compared to 2018, 2019, what? Uh, 12% of uh, call-outs. Yes, so from 12.4 to 31.2, and um, so there is an increase. And the first question is, how, why? And of course, in a scientific manner, as we know it, uh, to look into this, and there were inquiries made, and there was an answer. And this increase was assigned to the fact that this is an increase of commuters, more guests and their t term of stay. People move into Berlin, more big events, influenza caused increase of these services and an increase, a decreasing, uh, a decreasing capability and a lack of staff. That was um, what they said, quite grotesque reasoning. Grotesque, so it would have had to happen within a year. And then the big and major events didn't happen in 2020 at all. So, Quite right. We had the lockdowns, uh, we had the lockdown of life, uh, things that we all had to suffer from. They can't have caused that. So uh, this is just a helpless uh, excuse. And, uh, of course, in the control centers, there's tons of statistics and figures that should be made available to address this. And then the question is, why is nobody looking at these figures? The question in the firefighting services, of course, uh, there's a lot lack of staff for a long time. Uh, that's known to Berlin. Um, we know that the arrival times of the emergency services and so on is long and late. We all know of that. 
Anyway, so this is just a brief example that one should and could look at these things, and then the fire services, it seems to be blocked off. Whether it's a personal discussion with the emergency doctor and they evade off, it depends on whom you talk to. And uh, among decision makers at, in the fire brigade, um, so, if you um, reported this upwards, that this happens, what happened then? Uh, did uh, colleagues do that? Um, are there any uh, discussions then or what? Well, I have a concrete case that I know of. I, I talked to a couple of, I'm speaking here for a couple of colleagues, and in Berlin, a deputy uh, health uh, uh, occupational safety official who didn't want to uh, take the air the measures and uh, didn't implement them and he was pushed out of his work or out of his profession even i don't know so if you mention things it is simply suffocated um it was said the good firefighter is vaccinated solidarity comradeship in the firefighting always helps to uh, refer to that the vaccination pressure is was enormous it still is high and it's very very strong especially for the young colleagues in the training sections and the beginning of their career uh, they are even more open and susceptible to for these repressions and are there any findings um, in the fire brigade what impact that had on um, firefighters was there increased sick leave or whatever well still sick leaves have always been high and colleagues uh, um, are going to withdraw because of work overload i know a dramatic case where one colleague was suspended in the end he just had a complete breakdown because he spoke out and you can you can really shatter in this so basically he um, didn't uh, get sick because of uh, yeah. vaccination yes. but he just couldn't believe this yes firefighting is a family business really so it's really saving others supporting others and that's a global phenomena and this is why you really uh think you know there is the elephant in the room and you it's simply ignored and okay people handle this for fear ignorance and uh, they don't want to lose their existence but some take it on and um of course um um, you you have to uh, take the blows and the colleagues in their work and the lack of staff they are already under massive pressure and you always try to support and help and you want to be there and you don't want the colleagues to do the work for you because you are sick so you always try to um, do everything possible to provide your service many colleagues have a military background many former soldiers go to the firework uh, fire firefighting services and this is um, frequent and we do see a massive segregation and um, luckily it is now um, coming back and uh, some of the vaccinated colleagues are uh, now being solidary with the non-vaccinated colleagues 
and this is good uh, not being uh, blamed anymore and that's that's great that's wonderful and I can talk about I can say that um, the uh, willingness to um, hit these syringes uh, work is, is uh, reduced and uh, it's most important that we don't harm more people that's our drive and this is why we should make things very clear because in the beginning of the pandemics uh, in the emergency services it was visible and the people the colleagues weren't uh, protected and they had the images in their head and they had to deal with it and so some woke up and were critical and said there is a mismatch and some others just went along and now we hope as firefighters that we get get through this and get out of it on the other end uh, still naming and uh, pointing out what has to be done. I have another question. Uh, now, this increase in um, call-outs by about 20 percent or whatever, um, you know, um, this um, increase from uh, 12 to 25, 30 um, percent. The overall number of people that needed to be rescued, um, that didn't change, but they have other things, right? Other problems. Yes, we do have an increase. Uh, we look at the Berlin figures. That's the biggest uh, section in Germany. So that's the um, that's the measurement. So we see the uh, emergency cases that happened. I think it's 150 per year by now. It used to be two before. What are you talking about? So that is exceptional uh, things. If uh, we can't uh, get, we can't render the service. Um, not enough people and uh, not enough material and the system kind of gets out of track and that is the, called as an exceptional um, and um, not all cases can be attended properly. Uh, just one figure on 20th of August, uh, Nuremberg Codex, that's why I remember that. There was a 45 minutes delay after an alarm. Some alarms, uh, we couldn't react at all. Then that is... Uh, What's the response time normally? Uh, 15 minutes. So normally... So 15 minutes, you normally have to be yes, on site. Yes, depends a bit from state to state. Um, everybody has their own laws in Berlin. It's uh, 15 minutes and by no means 45. Just imagine a stroke patient and no help for 45 minutes. You're dead, yeah kills people yes and uh, i can report also um the reaction on the phone um so you have to tell the people who's calling instruct them on what to do and uh, that has increased as well you see they are parallel even in times so that used to be exceptional now it's always the case and so we can clearly see that the the spectrum is changing we have uh, cases that we didn't know before and experienced people didn't know before i got a question here somebody from a voluntary fire brigade writes were 17 uh, members 11 are vaccinated people um, who keep getting sick 
and the six unvaccinated stay healthy. Can you confirm that? Yes. Um, I can talk about the side effects, but that would be quite clear who's the colleague then. And uh, we we see that. What I just reported, we see that in our department as well. Right. So that kind of percentage, that's enormous. Wow. And um, now, can you say now, particularly for recent times where more and more things come to the fore, it's becoming ever more uh, officially admitted. Um, uh, there's a vaccination hotline now, or when the films were made, uh, um, there was this uh, film by NDR, uh, mainstream TV, and uh, the mainstream now is reporting more about the blue light um, or um, uh, professions and fire brigades, that this is not quite true. Is that uh, become, uh, becoming more? Well, many of them are still in denial. Uh, those who were there before are still there, and that is a process which will take some more time, I think. Those who were critical before still are, but they kind of stay in the background. Uh, it's now changing a bit um, when the um, it's going to change after the mandates will drop. But well, they're still the, the, the fronts are hardened. This cognitive dissonance, if I got that right, they decided for certain reasons to follow that normal. I can think of a number of people who are tough. We've given them up. We've given up on them. They can't be reached anymore. Well, that's quite close cooperation, really. Uh, you sit in these emergency vehicles at close quarters, or you wait in the uh, fire brigade uh, station. It depends. We got departments with two people and up to 30 in a simple single shift. So it's quite different, but it's got a family character. You spend 24 hours together or 12 hours. You eat together, you you go out together, you do sports together, you share things. And um, it came up over time that when the fronts are hardened, it's not the time yet to break them up. And we have to say there has not been enough suffering yet. Although sad to say that the people who should note that there's something wrong, they still try to cover it up and uh, deny it. Uh, yeah, they're not there yet. <clears throat> That's really striking uh, because of the fire uh, fighter. You need to be um, physically fit. You can't just uh, jump up from the sofa, go to the, um, um, the engine, the fire engine. So you have to stay fit. You have to uh, do sports, etc. So you can actually go out. You, you have heavy gear to carry, etc. So it's quite uh, amazing that they um, don't have that perception. But maybe they don't want to have that perception, really. But in this family of firefighters, um, is that a kind of topic that you uh, circumnavigate to deal yes. with it? Yes. It's like in a relationship, if there is a uh, hot topic, you try to get around it. I personally, I'm a bit different. I can't stay away. Um, I just say the colleagues will have to accept some point. We can't uh, push it under a rug forever. So I come up again and again with it, sometimes joking about it just to keep it on the table. 
but uh, in-depth discussion, I have given up on that. And I know that there is many people you fight and you do, and you could use that energy better elsewhere with people who really look for help. Well, the benefit here is that you actually row in together so that you go out together helping other people, so that is something that unifies you, so that it helps you overcome these fights. Yeah, that was the case before. Uh, you can have whatever discussion in the department, but as soon as you're on the road, that changes, and that's still the case. Okay, so uh, now if we compare, Wolfgang, you have a question. Hello, may I have a, ask a question? You have a lot of contact probably with doctors, um, out doctors that call you in, and uh, medical staff in hospitals and so on that you take the patients to. So how do you see the reception if you come with patients who, for example, a young person who has, uh, is, uh, do you have that on the agenda or is that uh, denied as well? Or is that a topic that there is, there could be um, um, vaccine victims? What What's your take? I can really only um, tell you um, about the reports I get because I only work in the technical service in the fire brigade, but we have to say it differs from clinic to clinic, really. Depends on who answers the door, who's um, the contact partner in the uh, emergency uh, ward. Uh, sometimes um, you tell each other, uh, give a tip to each other, and then this works. So the um, crew on, in the um, emergency vehicles, they uh, speak about this, um, if they, they have the courage. But then uh, in the clinics, there are crews that are afraid of it. In the clinics, it's in the hospitals, really very difficult, um, different. It depends on who answers the door, what's their attitude vis-a-vis -vis the topic. And it is also a policy uh, implemented by the clinic. So uh, there are different um, approaches that you can uh, pick. Well, I went to a clinic um, in my state with the patient and we had to wait outside the clinic despite it being an emergency um, waiting for a PCR test. Did that happen in your um, um, fire brigade as well? Well, I can't tell you because I don't go out here in uh, Berlin. I'm, well, I've heard it. Um, well, I know um, there's such a case in Mecklenburg, um, um, Antipomerania, and a young girl was just rejected by the clinic. There was this terrible case in Poland, uh, I don't know if you remember, where the patient had to wait for an inordinate amount of time, I think 30 hours, and she was rejected and was waiting uh, in front of the door and, and, and bled to death or died in a horrible way um, uh, instead of being helped because she was waiting for the results of the PCR test. So if we compare this, to um, the um, call-outs um, at the beginning of the COVID um, pandemic uh, compared to now. Was there a lot happening or was it uh, more people panicking, calling out, uh, calling out more? Was, was the normal level of flu and the fear I might have it? Because at the beginning it was quite unclear. They only said it was very contagious. Nobody knew what to do to me or am I vulnerable. 
because it was completely um, unclear at the beginning. So people were really worried, and I uh, noticed that in my family. But it turned out relatively um, quickly. Oops, this uh, doesn't make sense, like I said at the beginning. But the outings are still the same, the call-outs. Um, people just wanted to have it checked, and everything was considered as a suspected case. Um, with the tiniest symptom, um, the full um, program was run, uh, people getting into gear, you know, with the protective gear uh, going out to uh, people, um, examining people. Yeah, these, these whites, uh, this white gear, you know, uh, this infection protection um, suit that looks like a, a painter's suit. And so the question is, um, what kind of an image does it um, produce in the minds of the patients? Like, um, And it's, uh, of course, very threatening for children as well. That's a big issue as well that we um, have to deal with. Okay, but uh, you can say the cases that we see in sicknesses is much more severe and uh, much more frequent than what we had in the corona times. That's what you noted as well, isn't it? That in the beginning, not much happened, is it? That's true, the beds were empty, um, as I'd never seen in um, the ICU. Um, in all the years I'd worked there, that uh, a bed was empty, maybe for a few hours. Um, we always had uh, too many uh, patients there, and now for weeks, all of a sudden, half the beds were empty. Yes, I can only underpin this from my time in the services in uh, Berlin, the emergency relocations. You take a patient to a hospital and it was full, which was frequent. You had to go to the next. And the images that we saw with dramatic conditions, patients were moved from A to B with aircraft. That was normal. Only, well, we didn't, we didn't fly. That was normal, normal job, normal business before. Uh, more and more clinics uh, uh, reported full and that happened frequently. But that uh, didn't become more frequent at the beginning of the crisis, or did it suddenly uh, become less frequent, maybe, that uh, patients had to be shifted? I can't really say the beds were reduced, the number of beds had reduced, it should have piled up. I can't really answer that. I have no personal impression of the work. Well, there's this uh, set of statistics um, by the monitor by Robert Koch Institute with the 70 clinics across Germany who report the severe respiratory diseases, so-called SARI cases, and they didn't increase the number, they decreased actually during that time, so it doesn't really match either. The only thing that increased were the emergencies uh, of, uh, well, neurological cases and cardiological cases after the uh, beginning of the vaccination campaign. And at the beginning, uh, people don't, uh, didn't see doctors. In uh, tw early 2020, mothers with children didn't go to uh, the doctor. So the, the, uh, um, those uh, children up to four years um, didn't have any flu anymore. Um, those were uh, the largest number of cases uh, seeing doctors for respiratory diseases before uh, before the crisis. So I think it became a bit boring in some wards uh, because there were a few people presenting during the so-called emergency period. Well, one point about the strokes that you've just said. 
is that uh, the age range is reducing. It's young, uh, sportive people who show symptoms that you will in uh, 60 years expect to have. Yeah, yeah. These vaccines can cross the um, blood-brain barrier, and you have diffuse neurological symptoms, uh, not thrombosis uh, or um, that kind of dramatic um, effect, but oftentimes things that are very difficult to diagnose uh, or uh, uh, neurological weaknesses that people um, uh, deny it might be a, an interference with uh, sensory um, sensitivity and uh, many of them are not dramatic enough to call out the emergency doctor and um, some things you get used to uh, figuring like well I'm growing older so uh, they are disseminated damages uh, because when the spike proteins uh, reach the brain and they do they can cross the uh, blood-brain barrier they cause an inflammation of whatever you have the inflammation uh, you'll see destruction of um, tissue, the brain tissue, and Burkhardt has uh, been able to demonstrate that. He has uh, shown what the histological image is, but um, uh, the, the symptoms are uh, atypical, um, hidden, and not taken seriously, oftentimes. I'd be interested in if in the fire fightings I've heard reports that patients were rejected to be taken, as we've have it in the uh, practices and the hospitals if you are tested or you can't have the mask um, that uh, patients are rejected did you have that in the firefighters that um, you told them you won't take you along if you don't have a mask i can't imagine i i'm not aware there's nobody in response in a position of responsibility in an emergency vehicle will do that if you're called out as an um, as an emergency responder um, you won't reject patients. Patients uh, sometimes refuse to be brought along. You can't normally force a patient to come along um, under certain uh, circumstances possible, but um, you always need a waiver signed by the patient indicating that they want to stay home. So um, and I, I can't imagine that um, an emergency vehicle or the, the crew would reject the patient. It would be interesting to ask around well, to see if that happened. Yes, of course, there's many reports that you hear about. There's so many special cases, individual cases that you could discuss. Of course, that would be very subjective, but uh, it's, uh, it's a book that you can write. It's a horror story what the people from the services and from the wards can report. Well, we were just discussing that, well, about the case of a, a doctor who needed surgery, who didn't get the surgery because she couldn't wear the mask for health reasons, and she refused to get a test, um, so the surgery wasn't performed. She was expelled from the clinic, and that keeps happening. And I hear that from uh, doctors' practices that patients aren't uh, seen because of these reasons. That is uh, completely objectionable, and I'd like to know um, um, how that is handled in the fire brigade. But it, uh, we'll have to find out. Does anybody know if there is still the same invoicing diagnosis if you have contact with a PCR positive that the hospital can invoice more? Is that still practical work? 
Um, personally, I don't know about that, but I'll be happy to find out. It's an interesting question, yeah. Um, that was the case, yes. I don't know if it's still the practice today, but I'll find out. Very good. And of course, that would be a financial in incentive to take patients in or not, uh, because you are rewarded if the PCR test is positive. We have a few more questions here. Um, there's uh, this uh, thread of a blackout uh, being circulated uh, against the backdrop of the energy topics, and it's not all that unlikely that it might happen. Now, the question is how the fire brigade, um, how well they uh, are prepared for it or how they could handle it. Yeah, what do we have expect in the context of a blackout? Uh, do you prepare for it? Uh, maybe um, panic situations, civil war-like situations, because if it takes a, a bit longer, it's obvious um, all sorts of people try to uh, survive one way or the other, get some food, etc. What um, uh, is happening? Are you preparing for this? Well, firefighting is part of critical infrastructure and prepared for this kind of thing, or at least uh, goes through the scenarios and the departments uh, make sure that the vehicles can move, fuel, material, all that is kept on stock. So that's quite normal, I would say that uh, we're prepared for this kind of thing. Of course, uh, it has been uh, put into focus for some of the department chiefs um, to keep an eye, to keep the tanks full and so on. Has there ever been an exercise um, of that kind recently? I know that in the past we used to perform civil protection exercises where everybody um, plays together where we uh, simulated a, a major uh, disaster. Has there been any such a simulation of the last couple of years? Not specifically in terms of blackout or energy shutdown, but in Rostock there was a bigger exercise a couple of weeks about ago, I think a terrorist attack on, I think, a train station with police, firefighters, a night, a night scenario, I, but I don't know the real background. That was in the media as well. It's got nothing to do with blackout, no, no specifically. No. And um, can you see that there's a bit more awareness that this sort of thing might happen, a blackout? So uh, our managerial staff um, dealing yes. with this? Yes, it is a topic. Uh, we're looking at the current procedures and uh, the administration uh, has to be prepared and check what check what the situation is and you have to know what you what you know in the management level you have a different approach um, for me who's on the firefighting truck it's different but we do see this yes and the colleagues um, in their private lives are active um, so everybody sees to have um, a good preparation for winter. That's probably a fear like the one we've had before. Now you just prepare differently. So I just said so uh, this question, um, probably we're going to have that in a minute. Um, yeah, 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 we'll speak about that. Um, 
um, uh, you uh, obviously woke up um, in, the, in the context of Corona, and uh, do you see other yes. things now as well? Yes, that's the point that you find out. Well, the reports are not necessarily a picture of the reality or may follow a certain um, intent. Um, and we have to state that this doesn't have much to do with health and peace and things like that. So you start questioning uh, energy security is the next uh, health, uh, food production. I think all the topics um, in society uh, have to be put on the agenda and everything that concerns our children should be at top level. Um, education, uh, radio, television, I don't know if that was addressed here before. That is a big, big uh, point in all of this, and I think that's why it's so important. Maybe you want to comment on where we could go from here, that we address this. And this is why I'm here, that firefighters and the civil servants, uh, not only from the health point of view, look at it, but also from a democratic point of view as uh, Civil services, of course, we have our obligation, but we have a certain, uh, we have uh, special rights, but certain duties, special duties to maintain democracy. And if things go in the wrong way, or at least we have the impression things do so, we are obliged to look closely. And I think we have gotten to the point that with the firefighters, the lawyers, the judges, we look at what has gone wrong. And uh, for the area that I can see, I can clearly promise that um, we are going to follow up on this and we're going to show and uh, stand strong that the citizens will be protected, not only medically, but also in the democracy. Well, I find it important to point this out because the police has been seen as an antagonist a lot of times. And we've also seen uh, a lot of examples for individual um, officers or uh, maybe in smaller groups or maybe driven from the top. This actually happened that um, the police weren't uh, our friends, but uh, or that there has been some abuse. Um, but um, as a policeman, you actually um, are called upon to, to, and they swear, of course, um, by our constitution to protect the constitution. And um, this is oftentimes uh, the splits that uh, the police have to do. They uh, get an order from the top, and if you have a, a military background, you just go along. But at the same time, uh, it was contradictory to what they uh, really committed to defend. Quite right. And um, everybody has been uh, trained by themselves, and we share ideas with the colleagues. Often we have younger colleagues who are subsexible. They are trained and um, brought to the uh, brigades to get experience, and they have lack of life experience and uh, competency how to de-escalate a situation that seems to be a lack. Maybe it was used or trained. Uh, um, it's difficult, and the colleagues who note this, there is uh, internal revision in police. The problem is many people don't dare to speak out because they know they will get in the focus. So people stay back, and that's the general problem that we see 
that there is a concern what will happen to me if I speak out. What's the disciplinary consequences? How's that going to affect my career? How's that going to affect my uh, alimentation? Um, what's the obligations? Um, there is people and civil servants are under this pressure, not all of them, but many are, and I think that contributes to the behavior. Um, so do you refrain from that or you just wait till things calm down? That's a difficult situation. Yeah, it's a really difficult situation, really. And uh, during the major demonstrations, we spoke to a lot of policemen, and some of them uh, told us that, yes, they can clearly see what's happening there, and they um, don't agree at all, and they, they tried to go along uh, one way or the other. They have family to support, of course, etc., etc. But then there were a lot of people who, um, particularly in Berlin, there were many who I, I don't know, from a specific unit, uh, 32 or whatever, who actually uh, were all uh, a lot of young people who basically um, uh, thought those are all bad people who demonstrate here, and there was a lot of aggression there. So there was a, a certain um, perspective that um, they had on people. And so there weren't uh, more seasoned, uh, older colleagues and de-escalation, etc. You had your experience with um, the police as well, right? Yes. Um, from my own history, I tried to talk to uh, police uh, officers, um, BKA, federal and state level. And the ones that I talked to uh, really um, distance themselves from these uh, brigades that fight the so-called um, uh, critical demonstrations. So they are specifically trained, they got their orders, and uh, they are completely lack of empathy. Um, and it was always talk about substances that they were given and that has nothing to do with the police service, which I personally know from the years running up to this. And so recklessly and escalating uh, in a completely harmless situation, that is uh, a crime on the people, in my view. And there was physical violence against old women that I had to watch. Um, where I had to try to take an effect and, and I got uh, into trouble myself. I just wonder what is going on in these heads because they are human beings. And if I attack elderly ladies and threaten them and uh, uh, coerce them, it has to do things with me. And uh, just being emptiness there, I can't understand this. Well, there's always a briefing prior to the um, prior to the uh, service. What did they get? Of course, in the end, uh, the human, uh, the, the I have to use uh, common sense, and they have to adjust uh, my actions. If I have an elderly lady in front of me, if I'm asked to do something, but I have to do that in a sensible way, and that didn't happen. And these things have to be named and called out. I got into an action. I was a firefighter, obviously, and uh, we were at a rally. 
and um, the end was that I got a criminal court suit because it is not wanted that uh, we are there and uh, provide safety to the people saying we are the center, we stand for your protection and it was not wanted. Quite clearly, of course, nothing happened and the colleagues, and that's interesting, said we know this is rubbish to, to put you here and to arrest you, but we have to, we are asked to do so, we are ordered to do so. That says a lot of things. Yes, I had the situation in Erfurt when there was the uh, demonstration for the, the Judge Detmar, and um, we went there from Weimar and on the parking space and just wanted to get out of the car and immediately we were in circle. There was nothing there by about 10 police officers who um, rounded us up and we couldn't even go out of the parking space and with us there was a, a lady who wanted to go to her car who had nothing to do with us um, and, and I got uh, uh, sent away and I had to go because um, although we hadn't done anything very, very overreacting um, they must have thought that we would uh, start to be violent, which we never would have done. Yes, that's exactly the point. Um, that's um, what we do. We do to protect the people. Um, in Rostock, um, we were one of the biggest demonstrations, so 20,000 people on the streets. Um, in February 21, it escalated, and with this big um, roundup, so a massive police force knowing that these were always peaceful uh, rallies as if it were wanted. And there's so many video footage on that uh, documents the provoking and that simply neglected uh, and uh, was uh, prohibited. So you had no means um, to um, assemble and to use your right of assembly. And that caused great, great damage, I think. Absolutely, yes, I'm of the same opinion. I think the freedom of speech is a very high value in democracy. And um, if you peacefully pursue this, it must be possible everywhere. In England, we have a speaker's corner, and I can say whatever I want if I don't insult people or uh, don't uh, do any criminal actions, I can do so. Yes, it was just simply arbitrary. Well, that had been practiced. I was in Rostock, I don't know, uh, G7 or G20 in Heiligendamm, there was a big thing, and I attended the uh, uh, demonstration there. It wasn't about uh, COVID yet, it was about other things, and there was this uh, black group, the police uh, surrounded people, and then one of the black people picked up a stone, and it was like as if he uh, gave the order to, to um, start action. It looked like a, a group of people who were placed there to have a, a pretext to uh, disseminate the uh, demonstration by the police. Um, and that was a group that was chased along the porch. And it was a huge number of police who still were um, driving to um, Rostock. When I left the region, there was still more uh, police cars coming in with more uh, police, and that happened before COVID, don't forget that. And it's something where um, policymakers and uh, the police um, uh, abuses our police and our security forces 
as long as, uh, as um, far back as then, demonstrations were uh, disseminated um, illegally with these tricks. It's nothing that came up with uh, COVID. That happened in the past. We were asleep for a long time. Um, we were standing by um, watching this development for far too long. That's quite right, but uh, I think it's more dramatic now. Uh, I think it was individual cases before where a rally got off the tracks with provocateurs and so on, possibly, but uh, I think on the long line we can see this. You couldn't dare to get onto a rally now and uh, nowadays, and that was quite different. So we, we have, have one more question, question, whether uh, maybe you have talked about this critical police officers, how many, or not in figures, but uh, your impression, well, there are other organizations as well, what were they called, Policemen for Enlightenment, probably they are still active and... Uh, yeah, absolutely, um, they are in contact still uh, with us. And I have to say, um, everybody got connected by now. We're only a small initiative, of course, um, who are part of the uh, Action um, Association of um, uh, Health Services, who bring the people together who should uh, be together um, and help them participating in enlightenment in uh, the resistance, as long as it's necessary in the health system. Um, as long as necessary, we still have a, um, a ban on entering certain um, places and we have a, a legal advice initiative in uh, Hamburg that we started. Um, uh, the initiative, we want to stay, um, and they uh, started 2,000 um, cases and they keep working on them and in the action um, Association. There are numerous initiatives um, across Germany. Um, part of them do our info um, tool. What, what's that, info tour? Well, um, you can imagine that we're presenting more and more what's coming to lie now. We're not um, finding anything new. We're just collating what um, has come to light, and we uh, show it in our pavilion. Um, it's a bit decorated, of course, uh, including um, people suffering from vaccination damage, um, offering people the possibility of getting legal advice as well. They, uh, we allow people to report cases. We um, um, name uh, doctors uh, to people who uh, work, cooperate with us. So we do a lot of things because for many people it's still a topic that is unpleasant. You don't want to uh, discuss it within the family if you have a problem and people look for uh, contacts. You can do that on site. We don't only do it in the context of a uh, demonstration. We do it a little bit um, apart, so it's a bit uh, more anonymous. You can do it entirely anonymously via our website. What's that homepage? Uh, it's uh, org. So that's an, a port of entry, as it were, for people who haven't had anything to do with that. Uh, so we uh, link to other associations like um, uh, for uh, parents who have problems, uh, whose children have problems, it's Eltern stehen auf, parents arise, etc. 
Yeah, and I think that's good because I think especially the firefighters and the, the blue lights have a positive connotation in the population. They are the ones that uh, help you if you need help. Precisely, and um, that's the point. The question is, um, people can still believe in us. We look at things very closely, we pass it on. Of course, we, we can't know about all these things in detail, of course, but it's about our talking to each other and listening to each other, overcoming the um, division that has arisen and, and not let it stand and pretend like there's nothing there's nothing that happened. And I keep saying the children suffered so badly. I have um, five children um, in my family, we're a patchwork family, and we can see what damage has been done even among the, the youngest. This separation um, when uh, certain rules apply in a crash, children won't understand this. It's terrible what we allow to happen here. And I think we have an obligation to investigate this. And I don't think I'm alone. It is something that we need to process and the people responsible need to be held liable. Yeah, I think it's good that uh, like the Swiss cheese model, all the, uh, the initiatives uh, get infiltrating the society and uh, it's uh, spread the information and uh, if I read something or if I have somebody I can talk to as a person, I think that does make a difference. And maybe they say, I have this process, I have this problem, I went through that, I was scared in the beginning, and then I found out, well, maybe it's not all as it seems, and it's good to hear that from others as well. Yes, we're all people, and we allowed ourselves to be fooled, others uh, were lucky who had uh, their epiphany early, uh, early enough, and we can see how desperate people are, they're looking for help. And we can't just leave them alone. Every single one who um, turns to us for help needs, deserves help. They're all uh, fates and um, uh, people were um, subjected to injustice. That's the case. And we need to accept this. And I hope that people do accept this, uh, stop being in denial and that we can just roll up our sleeves and attack the situation. Very good. Sabrina, do you want to add anything? We so many details and such a lot of information. We wanted to add a little bit to what you said last time. We had many guests who suddenly had to go away and we couldn't answer it all. So maybe you can talk a little about the different aspects that you've gone through. Well, what I feel is important uh, personally is that we need um, to support the doctors who were with us, who were available for their patients day one, and who stuck to all the things they stand for and why they um, do their job, that uh, adhered to the uh, Geneva Convention, the um, um, Nuremberg Codex, um, who are now basically political, political, um, um, politically persecuted, some of them whom had to leave the country. There are so many uh, names I can't even list. Um, people losing their probation, etc., their license, and, and we need to deal with that. Uh, and I would like to sensitize um, um, the white crane uh, that uh, these doctors need our support because they were for us, they were there for us, they helped us, they uh, diagnosed people and they didn't like uh, just shoot from the hip. Um, like I heard by Dr. Walter Weber that a, a judge uh, said that 
his uh, expert uh, was just a, um, a nonsense and uh, this, this depreciation of experts. I would like to uh, sensitize everybody that we as people need to stand together and we need to stand in front of the people who uh, supported us and who keep fighting for us. Could you just briefly say what the Great Crane is? Yeah, well, it's an organization, um, it's an association that you can um, use to support uh, physicians by donations who need um, people to keep running their practices, who need to pay for lawyers' fees, court fees, people who lost their license, who um, are now in um, difficult uh, situations and uh, you can um, make a contribution there uh, to support them. I hope I um, explained it well enough. Sounds sounds right. And it's a good point because many people are overwhelmed by the costs simply. And it's good to help, I suppose. Yes, and we are completely left alone uh, because who the deals with them afterwards, uh, Dr. Volney, for instance, who was physically attacked during uh, a search of his house, um, was completely traumatized, um, put into, um, 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 was um, put into um, reprisal. And these people um, have done their job. And oftentimes they're isolated within their own families, even families break apart because one parent, one partner doesn't go along anymore, say, I can't uh, support, I can't do this anymore. And then you're suddenly alone, you're isolated professionally, um, you're isolated um, from your family. And it's incredible how deep that goes. And I can only um, fully subcont what um, you have been saying. Always we have to deal with this. We can't just return to normalcy. We have to really hold people liable. It's about justice, not about revenge. It's just about it, it's something we need justice here. It's all about protection. If you don't do this, it's going to happen again and again. And the topics are looming up. You don't have to be a cons uh, conspirational theorist. If you just watch what's going on, you can see so many uh, funny uh, rights have been restricted with uh, uh, vague um, reasoning and uh, the people agree in silence and we have to create an awareness that we have to defend our democracy and we can't just accept what politics are doing and it looks as if all the uh, votes go on and they do happen but also in the federal parliament there are people who get their information from somewhere who are, should be living and feeling beings, but they are susceptible to um, information. And it's clearly the public radio who has to say what's going on. And then people can come to a reasonable decision and a reasonable picture and come to good decisions um, looking at the risks. And that is what we want to do. And that has got lost. And uh, with 
with great damage, so... Well, that's what we're here for as well, to um, keep um, stirring things up. I'm quite sure there's many people in the federal parliament who do this because they are under pressure, because they fear of uh, getting kicked out, uh, being isolated in their fractions, in their parliament, in their parties. I think all of them are in this because the parties have a big effect on whether you get nominated or whether you can uh, be be um, <clears throat> nominated or not and they do this i felt this my i've been through this myself parties have a massive effect and influence and it's the leaders of the parties who you just have to buy if they are corrupt then um, they can build up massive pressure on those who were elected, especially by the list candidates. That's why I think we should only have direct candidates, no parties with lists. I um, stand up for directly elected uh, parliamentarians who are not subject to a party, who have to stand up for the decisions that they take. It doesn't make so much of a difference to have a symbol or a flag behind you for every decision that you take as a parliamentarian they should be responsible there could be collisions uh, throughout the whole house and we've been through these we've had these discussions in the federal parliament uh, when we had uh, different laws when we had these stem cell laws and fractions from people from all parties came together um, looking at the um, at the different solutions and this was uh, the uh, highlights of the parliamentarianism in Germany where the uh, parties didn't want to exert their pressure but uh, now it seems to people be people at the tops of the parties who were just put on the tracks and uh, if um, they uh, don't go along uh, they are at risk of life it's horrible for them and uh, i think there's a lot of pressure being put out and corruption of course um, so if i look at our chancellor and uh, his behavior i get sick if i see that and uh, if i look at parties who are uh, working in black rock or did work so and they just have the rotating door principle is so much corruption and if they get to the top of the parties and make sure that everybody obeys then you can't get any good politics out of this and this is just like in the firefightings and the civil service some massive pressure on those who have to think about their livelihood and wanting to do their work if they don't do it if they don't go along they will simply be kicked out and life will be horror for them and they'll have to leave and have uh, no influence at all anymore so that is um, the fish smells from the head and that's as you say in german absolutely Wolfgang, i think you have had the last word there <coughs> yeah we can leave it at that well then if there's nothing else to be added i'd say for now we're at the end of this discussion and we'll stay in contact of course to uh, keep monitoring what's happening you're welcome to stay if you like <laughs> but if you have better things to do or other things to do, then I would like to thank you for coming anyway. 
And I uh, think it was very informative and great to see what happens inside of the uh, fire brigade and within the blue lights there. And that is a very differentiated uh, view. It's good to see where are you making progress. Uh, for instance, that they uh, engage in solidarity with the unvaccinated colleagues and some are still in denial, um, but that they at least are um, uh, at the point where they say we won't let anyone down from our family of firefighters there. Um, so if we can achieve that across society, that would be a big step forward anyway. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you very well, much. Thanks. All the best. Thanks. Okay, we have the next guest in line, and um, this was Sabrina Fulmong and Martin Tolberg from the firefighting, and Sabrina is a former ICU nurse who um, took her leave due to the circumstances which she couldn't bear with anymore. Now, we have another live guest in just a minute. He's just arriving. But I think it's always good, Wolfgang, to think it's very interesting to see the practical side of things because it gives us quite different insights, not only theory, but practical life as well. Yes, uh, I could imagine uh, doing that. As a journalist, I'd go to a fire brigade where there's like 30 um, firefighters and discuss this with them so you can hear the different points of view and so that you can see um, the disagreement among people that they're not all of one uh, opinion is obvious um, uh, you can get more guidance than um, if you um, consider it to be taboo um, here's a corona committee where you can be critical and then elsewhere you are on duty where you can't be um, um, say critical word that is unacceptable in a democracy it all has to be put on the table there must always be forces and assemblies where people can be at loggerheads of course uh, only arguing according to uh, certain rules and and striving for compromise but that's not happening and we want this to happen again i don't want to keep going uh, keep talking i'm uh, looking forward to hearing the next guest yes I'm looking forward to Professor Klaus Buchner as well. Happy to have you here. I've heard quite a few things about you. We're going to talk about 5G and other high-frequency wave movements. Maybe I can briefly introduce you, and you are, of course, welcome to add to that. You're an expensive experimental fissionist, physicist, a retired university professor from the UNIGIT. Professor of Mathematics. Yes, a professor in mathematics, and uh, you are also the former federal chairman of the ODP, the Ecological Democratic Party, and your research interests are in general relativity, theory, and differential geometry. Fascinating topics. Surely you have written about 60 scientific papers in uh, 1992. You got the um, gold medal of merit of the University of uh, Oslova. 
um, happy to have you here. Uh, maybe you want to add more to your CV? Well, for six years I was an MP, MEP, um, so in the European Parliament, and I was able to do a few things there as well, of course, even though I was on uh, uh, committees that had nothing to do with this. I was on the subcommittee of uh, human rights and the committee for um, um, foreign trades and um, foreign relations. So we'll have to see how this is um, all related. I was the only ma mathematician in my university who was interested in experimentation, but um, I have a wide range of interests on that basis. Some Sounds very, very interesting and thinking out of the box, which is uh, always good to take a creative development. So I'm looking forward of what you can tell us about all that radiation issues. There was a conference recently, I think in Dusseldorf, where many things have been raised and brought together. And apparently all this radiation seems to be more dangerous than uh, people make us think. Always uh, here so many years, it's only good for you. And now it uh, turns out that the radiation is uh, not harmless, if I understand that correctly. Well, as you said, right now a lot is happening in the US. There's a huge uh, law case involving a lot of uh, medical staff, um, some of them from Germany as well. In the EU, a lot is happening, uh, also in the legal sphere. So right now we're in a phase where there's uh, old traditional thinking that you just uh, sketched is um, broken up now, finally. But it may sound funny. We say this radiation is... Um, harmful. The answer you immediately get is we all have a mobile phone. If something was bad about it, we all would have to be uh, ill. Well, do you um, remember what the situation was like with smoking? For many, many years, uh, it was claimed that it was harmless. Then the first reports came that it is uh, unhealthy, and the argument was the same. So many people uh, smoke, and most of them are healthy. Look at our former uh, Chancellor Schmidt, um, who you couldn't really uh, put on TV anymore because all you would see was, was a uh, smoke screen there. And it's the same with uh, radiation. Um, it is harmful, no doubt, uh, wireless, actually. But it only makes a small percentage of people actually ill. Right now, we're at the very beginning of uh, examining under which circumstances people will be taken ill, under which uh, they won't be. Usually, there is a vulnerability. Um, it may be a, a heavy metal um, intoxication or um, some other um, um, preconditioning, I believe that only a small number of people, less than a percent, uh, less than 10% are affected, but they are very, um, uh, they really need to be uh, taken care of. I know of uh, some people who 
suffered such pain that they um, wound up committing suicide because they just couldn't bear it anymore. Now, when you have a, um, a radiation field that you're exposed to, most people don't know notice anything. Some get unspecific complaints that they develop. On the first image, I don't know if you can see this, you can see uh, unspecific um, problems. For instance, uh, insomnia. Uh, problems with um, concentration or um, memory losses or um, headache, nose bleeding, etc. There are about 2,000 different causes for headache, like how will a doctor determine whether this is caused by wireless um, radiation or not? The problem with all of this is that um, wireless radiation attacks at the cellular level and cells are around everywhere, not only with people, but also with plants, animals, bacteria. And that means that the damage is quite general, quite unspecific here. Now, what you're told all the time is that, well, if you see a doctor because of that uh, sort of thing, well, that's psychological. Uh, the doctor can't find uh, any reason. Um, I have to say it's logical that he doesn't find anything because he can't take any measurement, uh, measuring gear to people's homes. And so they consider it to be psychological, psychosomatic. And I I have to say, unfortunately, there's further training paid for by industry that tell people, that tell doctors, if people have that claim, take them to psychiatric ward. So um, that is something that keeps happening all the time. And the only counter-argument you could put is that, well, <coughs> the trees certainly don't have a psychological problem when they see an aerial, an antenna, so we don't, we can't send them off to a shrink. So you can clearly see here, I hope, um, I, I'll see if I can well, no, it doesn't work. Anyway, on the left-hand side, you can see the uh, antennas, and on the right-hand side, the tree. The lower part of the tree is um, protected by the wall. Um, radiation can't reach that part of the tree. At the top, the tree is clearly damaged. So the tree um, absorbs the radiation to a large extent. You can see uh, on the one side of the um, tree, we have 2,100 microwatts per square meter, and on the right-hand side, it's, two, um, it's just, what, one-ninth of that. So that means that the radiation only penetrates uh, to some extent into the tree, and then it becomes weakened so much that it can't damage it anymore. So after a year or two, the um, left side is killed off, it can't absorb the radiation anymore, and the next part is damaged. So the radiation will eat its way through the tree. You can see it more clearly on the next picture. Here, we're at the beginning of the damage, actually. This picture was taken just after this uh, wireless um, uh, radiation mast was uh, put into operation. The tree no longer exists today. Even more clearly, this image from Dresden, from the city of Dresden, you can see the right side of the tree with a few leaves, not too healthy, but still there. This part of the tree is 
um, in uh, the shade of the roof um, in terms of the uh, side of line, uh, line of sight to the antenna. The left side of the tree uh, has died off. You can't say that's poor air or um, lack of water or something. That's the same tree. One part is dead, the other part is still green. So that means it's not only uh, like that with trees, but animals as well. With animals, it's easiest with uh, scientists, uh, with um, um, cattle, for instance, you have electronic um, books, can I, ledgers. Can I ask? Uh, what happens well, with the tree? What, what What's going on? Maybe you'll tell us later, but what's the phenomena that we see here? How that damages the cells, I'll speak about that. Maybe we can go back to the livestock. That was an uh, examination that we um, performed where we had about 20,000 piglets that had no uh, radiation exposure and after um, erection of the mast, we had uh, exposure of about 7,700 uh, piglets that were exposed. And you can see at a um, maximum of 1,200 microwatts per square meters, that's uh, one ten-thousandth of the uh, limit value. So you can see how crazy our uh, limit values are. These anomalies among the 20,000 piglets um, that we had in the ledger um, uh, it never appeared. It's completely new. But this is only the um, visible, um, externally visible um, abnormalities. I can't uh, take a picture of the internal abnormalities of internal organs. The figures are frightening. Um, um, they're misleading. It's 0.8% of piglets who have a visible uh, damage. The piglets uh, are uh, quite, or pigs are quite similar to people. So we have to expect people to uh, suffer damage as well. It's not only affects pigs. Here you can see pictures of cattle. The calf on the left-hand side um, perished the day after this picture was taken. Uh, on the right-hand side, you can see a calf. Take a look at the feet, at the hooves. That's not only something we can observe with um, animals or plants. Um, um, sometimes with horses, for instance, you can um, see that with certain frequencies, you can, oh, sorry, with bacteria, you can uh, uh, use radiation to um, benefit them or to damage them. So when you ask the question of how can we, um, um, uh, how does this happen? Well, I have to be a bit more um, verbose here. A cell is uh, enclosed by a shell, um, cell membrane. And the electrical conditions on the inside is different from that on the outside. So on the inside, we have negative ions, mostly chlorine, 
And on the outside, you have positive calcium um, that is being shown here. And then um, the membrane itself has holes for certain ions, for certain uh, particles. And I only show the ones for calcium here. Usually, these holes are closed because otherwise, the a positive tension on the outside would equalize with the negative tension on the inside. So these holes have a sort of plug. These plugs are complex proteins with four spiral-shaped um, components. Um, I'll try to show that in the next image. I'm only showing two spirals here on the left-hand side. At the top, we can see the inside of the cell with the negative ions. On the uh, outside, at the bottom here, you can see the positive ions. And then on the inside, there are four spirals. I'm only showing two here. There are numerous physical mechanisms of how these plugs can be opened and what um, impact the radiation has in the cell. I'm only speaking about one um, mechanism here. Um, uh, it would be a lecture in its own right to speak about all the different um, uh, mechanisms. These spirals keep their shape because they don't have a, an equal distribution of tensions. Uh, sometimes the, um, the negative um, tension predominates, sometimes the positive. That keeps the spiral in shape. And if you um, give a, a certain if you apply a certain electrical um, tension, then these spirals start vibrating, and at some stage, it can disintegrate, as seen as shown on the right-hand side. And then the plug becomes deactivated. And this is how you can open these uh, calcium channels. There are different ways of opening them, but this is one of them. So is that a kind of resonance phenomena? depending on the frequency? It depends on the frequency, indeed, but the resonance is very dampened. You don't have, it's very wide. You don't have to hit a very specific frequency. It works with a lot of different frequencies. It's a wide band. The radiation has enough energy to break up this um, um, tie, uh, Van der Waals uh, uh, bond um, is the physical term. Now, this, these calcium ions uh, create a lot of havoc inside the cell. For instance, they bind to nitrogen atoms, damaging hormones, including sexual hormones, um, affecting the sexual behavior of animals as well. Um, you can observe that uh, quite clearly. But the most important thing is that via an important uh, chain of um, effects, uh, very complex uh, compounds form, uh, so-called free radicals, and they attack the genetic code. And we know what that means. It means, on the one hand, uh, that uh, this can lead to the formation of cancer. And it also means that there can be um, hereditary damage 
as we've seen it already. Not only hereditary damage uh, strict to sensu, but also I'll uh, call it epigenetic, epigenetic uh, damage, i.e. damage that affects um, the fetus uh, during pregnancy. Um, this has been shown in uh, studies to be dominant, even though these aren't um, uh, scientifically corroborated. Yes, these studies aren't. And that means that if uh, a mother um, uses a mobile phone during pregnancy or puts it in the um, pram, well, even if you don't use a, a phone, if it's only switched on, it still uh, links up to uh, the cell, and um, that can damage the child. Um, there seems to be a correlation between the damage caused in uh, children uh, and the frequency of the mothers using the phone. That's not scientifically corroborated yet, but it, there seems to be such a correlation. And um, you would expect cancer arising uh, from this. For In humans, you can't uh, perform double-blind studies that you would really have to perform. You can't do that in humans, but there have been numerous experiments with animals. And with humans, you don't have experiments, but observations. You can, for instance, check how often do people who uh, are on the phone a lot, on the mobile phone a lot, how often do they uh, develop cancer in this region of the skull. Of course, there are studies by Hardell and others, for instance. Um, the next uh, study shown here, uh, made by the National Toxicology Program, uh, is much more convincing by many, uh, for many others. That's so important because it was done, uh, performed in um, um, uh, by commission of the U.S. government a study of 3,080 rats and mice where there was a clear proof uh, of cancerogenic effects. Um, it has been proven only uh, shown, um, uh, proved for certain uh, types of cancer with male mice and rats uh, because the number of uh, animals used in the study uh, was so low. Uh, we could also see it for other cancer types, but it wasn't statistically relevant. The next important uh, study is the publication by uh, Ms. Belpaggi from Italy. She found the same thing, particularly uh, because she had more specific uh, studies. She was able to have a targeted, um, more targeted study with weakened uh, radiation far below the threshold levels, the limit values, and she could uh, show that this still is cancerogenic, and it was shown that this can cause cancer, and that this should be uh, particularly important in uh, humans, as shown by this graph here, which describes uh, very aggressive uh, cases, uh, gliomas uh, of uh, degree four that are almost always lethal. So the green curve, the um, uh, that's other brain regions. The red one is only the frontal and temporal lobes, i.e. the part of the brain that is um, 
affected most by mobile phones. And you can see that over the years, the numbers of people affected increase a lot um, for these affected areas of the brain, and the other regions of the brain are largely unaffected. These are data from the UK. We have other um, data, not as specific, but um, for um, more regions from France. That's not only a single set of statistics now. And what's interesting with the red curve as well is that you can specify on the side that people use uh, to hold their mobiles, so the right side for right-handed people, the cancer probability on the right-hand side for right-handed people is much higher than on the left side. So that's a clear correlation. Now my time is running short, so I'll give you a few short comments. How many people uh, are affected here? Is that notable? Well, well in France, we're talking of um, more than 3,000. Um, I think it's a similar number in the UK. I'm not sure about it now. Now, a few things on the Internet of Things, 5G in other words. It is often claimed here that ever higher frequencies are being used, and that is only partially true, because right now 5G is broadcast in the frequency ranges that have been traditionally been used for 2G, 3G, and 4G. The new bands auctioned are the bands from 3.4 to 3.8 gigahertz, so it's only slightly above what we've had before. So we can say um, that it will have a similar effect as what we've, we've had before. In the future, we will add the uh, range around 26 gigahertz, and that is a much, uh, much higher frequency range. And they keep saying that is completely harmless, but the uh, penetration depth of this radiation into the human body is very low. That is true. But imagine that all the energy is then applied to this short range, and that means that it is much more affected, much more intensively. So you can't really claim that this is less harmful. And the next uh, thing underneath that is very important that near the 26 gigahertz, we have the resonance frequency of water vapor at 23.8 gigahertz. That means that this radiation, particularly outdoors, during rain, uh, snowfall, uh, humid weather conditions, it is uh, absorbed. Um, so the antennas have to be uh, at short intervals, and it's absorbed not only by uh, water but uh, or by rain, but also by um, walls. And the um, objective is, of course, to get the radiation into the homes and they want to disconnect wired landlines increasingly. So that means that they have to um, use huge energies to penetrate the walls. The um, senders, the antennas, uh, at 26 gigahertz have to be quite close to each other. With the higher frequencies, something else applies. Normally, an antenna 
um, has a 120 degree um, range. Normally, an antenna has three transmitters um, pointing in different directions. With 3G, with the, with the high frequencies, we have pencil radiation. So um, they have to um, sense the entire um, environment uh, 50 times per second at a very high frequency. And this beam is so intensive that in this short period of time, it has to capture all the um, devices in its range and actually transmit data within milliseconds. So you can imagine how strong this beam has to be for a very short period of time. Biologically important is not what the average um, value is, but what the peak value is. It's easy to understand. What do you prefer if your partner uh, caresses you for two minutes or if he uh, smacks you. The average energy is the same. And uh, the studies only consider the average um, strength, but what's biologically relevant is the peak. So that's uh, really um, an abuse of limit values. Can I ask a question? I heard before that the high-frequent range is pulsed, uh, lower frequencies pulsed, and that the biological effect due to the low uh, frequency range is uh, affected. Do you know about that? Yeah, that's true, um, particularly uh, in the case of 3G, but with the other um, systems of 4G, 5G, we have pulsing as well. The problem is that it is very slow. For instance, there's one which is uh, very important for edge. It's about eight times per second. It's eight hertz. And that's the precise frequency of the alpha waves in the brain. Even at higher uh, higher pulse rates, we have correspondences um, here, and of course with the, with the brain waves, and that uh, influences them. It's been known for 20, 25 years. There's yes, uh, Dr. Fitzing did that at the time in Lübeck's uh, EEG recording, switching phones on and off, and he could see the interaction of the brain. And what's interesting here is that the operators have tried, of course, to deny these uh, experiments. The usual way is to say they're not uh, performed with appropriate scientific rigor. But there have been so many similar experiments now. And the criticism of these experiments have dissipated as well. So we can't really uh, deny this. We've clearly, um, uh, we have clear evidence of these things. And the same applies to genetic modifications. Here again, industry tried to uh, claim fraud. And that went into, I don't know how many different court cases, um, the person who went, took it to court uh, for industry, has been uh, sentenced several times over. And uh, for a while, he was the uh, uh, leading um, um, radiation uh, official. 
And um, What's you his can name? now um, call him a liar and a fraudster, and that's um, corroborated by a court. Well, that's the principle to corrupt the people at the top. Yes, by the way, he's a professor at a private university um, which has the nickname of the Vodafone University, so he's not at a public university. Well, I thought it was Jacobs University. Yeah, that's the one. Jacobs is a coffee brand from Bremen, by the way. Yeah, um, it is often claimed that the 5G radiation was uh, corresponding with the resonance frequency of oxygen. That is why this radiation uh, would interfere with the absorption of oxygen. And that is not entirely true because the resonance frequency of um, oxygen is at 60 gigahertz and the highest frequency targeted in Germany is 26 gigahertz um, and that is far away from this. Nevertheless, there is um, um, some truth to it. Um, the radiation makes um, the blood, blood clot. It's easy to imagine because the blood platelets have a uh, charge at the surface and this charge is messed with um, by the radiation, so um, the calcium is no longer um, concentrated at the surface of the platelets, uh, which is why they don't have the same charge anymore and they, uh, they are not expelling each other. And this is why they clot together and uh, this is why some of their surface is covered and they can't absorb as much oxygen anymore. At the same time, the uh, calcium flow uh, into the muscle cells leads to a contraction of the muscle cells. So if you have arteries, they are uh, contracted irregularly, which also interferes with the flow of blood um, as well as the absorption of oxygen. Right. I but time is up. I simply should mention briefly that 5G needs a lot of energy. By moving from 4G to 5G, we're talking of a triplication of uh, power consumption. It's true that per piece of information, due to the better uh, technology with 5G, you release less energy uh, per bit of uh, tra um, transmitted information, but it is used, um, the idea is to use it for the Internet of Things, uh, so everything is supposed to be connected with each other, and that means that we'll have a lot of energy floating around, multiplying um, total radiation. Oh, one more thing, the 5G um, charges that the operators have to pay to um, the government are relatively high and many operators are not willing to um, pay that. Elon Musk, for instance, doesn't want to do that. So what do they do? They do it by satellite. Space is international. Um, it's, it's really largely unregulated. So they just uh, put satellites um, into space 
ensuring communication from the top. These satellites need to be in low orbits because you need short latency times. The beam mustn't take too long a time to reach the satellite. So they have to be in low orbit, uh, orbit but we still have some residual atmosphere here. So there's friction between the satellites and air. So they um, have a lifespan of about five to seven years. Elon Musk has already put thousands into space. I don't know what the current figure is. Um, he got a license for 24,000 and is applying for a total of 48,000. That's one company, SpaceX. And there are many companies out there. So applications across uh, the world are totaling about 100,000 today. Now imagine what that means in terms of um, space scrap that will evaporate at some stage and, and um, impact on Earth somewhere, which is bad enough. That's not too bad now. That can change going forward. Right now, the worst is the radiation that's coming down. That is weak, actually. That's not the problem right now. And uh, then, by way of conclusion, one more comment. Wireless radiation weakens the immune system. This has been proven with numerous studies. I only show two here. What's more important, maybe another aspect, wireless radiation opens, as I mentioned earlier, the calcium channels, and that has been shown by an inordinate number of um, scientific studies. And all viruses for replication, i.e. to have the, to make children, as it were, need to get into the cell. And they use the calcium channels that, um, for that. They open them with their own activities, but if they're open already, they don't even have to do that. So that means, on the one hand, we know that wireless radiation are um, uh, enormously promote uh, viral infections. On the other hand, there are uh, there is medication that can close the uh, calcium channels, and maybe on this basis, you might make medication uh, for viral infections. Maybe not um, as good as antibiotics, but it might be a good help for different viral mutations. But what I'm saying now that wireless radiation promotes viral um, uh, infections um, is uh, to be criminalized. We don't have uh, freedom of opinion any anymore. The Council of Ministers in the EU in an uh, Article 36 uh, demanded that legislation has to be modified so that statements like I'm making them now will be punishable. That is our um, freedom. That is um, a huge step back. Well, this doesn't lead to truth. Um, punishing doesn't lead to truth. Only discussion does. And I have, and I think that I just wondered, I'm not someone who sees viruses as diseases only because if the virus didn't get into ourselves we simply wouldn't exist they are that's true an evolutionary important part of ourselves and this is why if we 
keep on saying that viruses make you sick. We are down the wrong path. Um, of course, they can make us sick, as many things can make us sick, but they are part of normal human development, and that has to made clear, be made clear, and we need viruses to stay healthy. They serve us, and they have to get into the cells as well to replicate. I think it's a very complex topic, and it'd be good to discuss this together with virologists. There's so many different people, not the virologists who look for sicknesses, but the ones who are biologists uh, taking and looking at the function of viruses in nature. It'd be great if we could team up with them and have an interdisciplinary uh, discussion and an exchange on the electromagnetic uh, radiation and what that would mean for viruses in general, not only for diseases. Yes, in this area, mainly we have uh, the calcium channels, um, virus replications. There's quite a number of scientific work, um, but that is not yet sufficient. It points into a clear direction, but the problem is by far not been described sufficiently. Okay, I am a bit under pressure. And this is why I would like to simply uh, quickly look at the last chart. And um, again, uh, that is the connection here. You know that the electronic um, passports are forced. They are going to be integrated into digital passports. And there is two points for this. So, two things that are going on. So, cell phones and digital vaccination passes. Anyway, there's two concepts. Well, somehow I, the, the picture is not there. Anyway, there's two concepts, one ID 2020 and the other is the Commons Project. And uh, ID 2020 is um, introduced as a vaccination passport in Bangladesh, uh, where people usually don't have passports. And for all activities where they have to show their identities, they now use an ID 2020 vaccination passport, which is integrated on their cell phones. All of this was um, promoted by the vaccination alliance Gavi and Microsoft, of course. So Rockefeller Foundation plays a role here. And we do see in this project alone that this is something that the national sovereignty will be negatively affected by because it is in the hands of the large capitalists. It's not in the hands of democratically ruled countries. And the same applies to the Commons project. Again, an electronic uh, vaccination passport as a starting point, and it is intended 
did for, for the Eastern Af East African uh, Union of States as a travel document so that you can travel freely when people are vaccinated. And with this Commons project, there is a field trial with volunteers, October 2020, that was done, interestingly, before the vaccination was introduced. So this was planned with two airlines, two US uh, uh, airlines that uh, the EV, the WEF, the World Economic Forum promotes this and demands it. And interestingly, uh, the US Homeland Security as well. They want this as well, of course, explicitly, not only with vaccination data, but with that data on the behavior of the people so that electronically at the border, you can allow people in or not. I see a massive problem rolling up onto us here for the democratic freedom. This is data which is being uh, stored in servers with no access for us, uh, um, with uh, data nothing to do with data protection and data safety. This is things uh, um, stored of the people, whether they are politically correct or not. And this is not fantasy. We have this in China, the social credit system, where people are seamlessly monitored and political behavior is registered and stored. And so we shouldn't say this is only in China. I was in the EU parliament, the um, reporter of export of monitoring techniques, and this is exactly what we are on about in the so-called free world it is not as obvious things are stored especially if it's not only data on the people but it's also there's such a lot of information that you can affect it <clears throat> you can influence us do you think trump was elected by these illegal data collections at the time illegal, where people were individually addressed, certain fears were triggered uh, by the people and the advertising of the, the campaigns were tailored to that. That will be better in a more sophisticated way in the future. This is already a few years down the line and the technology has been massively refined. I don't know how democracy will be possible with these techniques in the future. And unfortunately, I got to close now. The next charts has got a couple of um, quotes and references. And of course, I'm happy to answer questions. I have a question to ask. Um, why? Are these frequencies used the ever more uh, powerful uh, frequencies? Isn't the rest enough? Well, first of all, technology improved. By now, we get more information through the same radiation. And it's not only better coding, it's also, it's all digitally uh, zeros and, and ones. And that send a zero or a one, you need only little oscillations to make it clear. <clears throat> the more 
oscillations you have per second, the more information you can pass on. And more uh, higher uh, oscillations per second means higher frequency. And this is why they'll move on to the 26 gigahertz, because it is only for a very extreme short ranges. But uh, within the short range, you have to have some kind of device which uh, sums up the local information to uh, pass it on. And this is an idea that you have to think further. It's not going to stop at 26 gigahertz. We're going to go to higher and higher frequencies. So where are the natural limits? That's where radioactivity starts or let's assume physically speaking ionizing ionizing radiation higher uv light already is a range here so that means as the upper level we have the visible lights and infrared radiation and even today for short ranges there is data transmission on visible light and infrared radiation, which a wonder has higher data rates than what we do with uh, wireless radiation today. And um, especially answering your questions, the important point is if I am inside my flat, the strongest radiation is usually the um, wireless phone and the router. Both of these could be replaced by light technology. This is being done already. It's not fantasy either. There is um, schools who use light technology instead of uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, works well, and the benefit is that it doesn't only not damage the students, um, also the damage to students is uh, proven. And in school, it is a data protection problems. I'm waiting for the first uh, legal claim against a school which uses uh, Hi-Fi because it has nothing to do with data security. And we will solve all these problems with light technology. So light technology is, um, has no harmful effects or what? Yes, you can buy it. The problem is that you need such low light um, if you want to have it as light and not uh, um, infrared. You can't see it in a dark room. And this, this uh, brain frequency, is that coincidental? Um, it's supposed to create interferences with the frequencies in the brain? Yes. The idea is to go down as far as possible because um, we need higher uh, rates for modulation of language and, and voice. And uh, so sometimes you put a pulse in that to do that. And that is uh, slow. So it starts in pulses with a distance of about a second up to uh, 30, 60 times per second. There are higher ranges as well. So that's kind of a, a white balancing or what? Um, so uh, it's almost like a clapperboard with um, the movie industry so that you know where the next batch starts, the next package. So um, what you say about the frequency now, is that something that creates more problems or is that uh, no matter? Well, of course it creates problems. The brain frequencies are interfered with massively. And for example, we have very good 
um, studies on sleeping behavior. There are different sleep, sleep levels, and you can clearly see if a radio signal comes in, sleep is uh, damaged uh, or harmed, and if you uh, if it stopped, you'd go to deeper sleeping levels. This is why it's so important, and not only because of that, also works the hormones uh, which are created at night, that at night you are free of radio waves as far as possible. And uh, can you get back to this ICNIRP or whatever it's called? Um, that's the organization that determines the limit values now. But they are basically an industrial creature, aren't they? Well, that's a lobby work of industry, yes. It's people who, I think all of them, I don't want to say all of them, I can't prove that, but who the ones who I have seen have uh, direct links to industry, who have research work which is funded by industry, or who have some kind of um, professional link to industry. Uh, it's the organization which is so good uh, in its sense that it gets its people to the top jobs in politics. And uh, the uh, limit values that we still have have been established in 1996 in the uh, with Angela Merkel as the environmental minister and exactly in these times uh, it was ignorant people at the crucial points in uh, society and the global headquarters is close to Munich and where in the Federal Radiation uh, Authority, and they don't pay rent, and it's good if they're so close together. The boss of the Munich part is at the same time um, a scientific secretary in the leadership board. So a consequence of this is that the Federal Radiation Authority has a branch in Coppos paid by taxpayers' money, money doing nothing else than advertising for 5G. The profit is private. Of course, the state can use the data that they collect, but the monetary profit is private and we funded by tax money. That's the Federal Office for Radiation Protection and that has its office in, um, in Cottbus there. That's crazy. And, um, well, the, uh, now, what's your view? There's rumors again and again um, that um, this vaccination might contain metal components or there, there were examinations that there are um, rare earths in there and a lot of uh, scientists uh, looked at this, whether it contains graphene or not, so we're not quite sure about it yet, but let's... Graphene has been well proven by now. Well, I, I thought that it hasn't been proved yet, but if you are aware of it already, well, is there a risk that um, any heavy metal that um, from any um, source floating around the body that um, this kind of frequency could uh, 
have an, any t uh, different type of damage or that there might be some uh, receptability um, um, of that might damage the cells or could um, cause the uh, the body or allow for trackability of people or whatever? Uh, yes, there's two things I'd like to note. One is the heavy metals uh, that come, uh, cause damage to the mitochondria and this leads, as far as our observation goes, to the f effect that people are easier electrohycal hypersensitive, they get radiation sickness, so to say, and the other point is, as far as I know, not being looked at at all. There are structures, especially with the vaccinations, these parts, they have parts that seem to auto-assemble in some uh, patterns. I don't know what the consequences of this is. Um, it's just weird to see this, um, but I can't really comment. So, theoretically, if we only um, <coughs> hypothesize now, uh, if such structures um, arise, then they might be influenced by such a frequency. That might be conceivable. Yes, it is, but we have no indication or even proof. It would be a question then. Um, they would have to have a source of energy, maybe the speed of movement of the blood or whatever. Well, you can do that in a more simpler way. In the RFIDs, for example, you know, these little chips that, you know, um, like if you, if you buy something in the shops, you just send a certain frequency to it, and it's got a structure inside that receives the frequency and responds or, or does whatever you want to do with it. So in that way, it is easier to um, provide the energy with radiation from the outside because some uh, building batteries and things like that is more difficult. Oh, yeah. But theoretically, that means independently of whether it uh, applies or not, but as a hypothesis, it would be possible to have um, a sort of self-assembling structure that could be influenced by some uh, external frequencies, um, uh, driving or uh, pulling energy from it, whatever. Yes, it is imaginable, but um, I wouldn't even say there is anything that points at this. Uh, right, because this rumor is afloat there that this might be happening. So would you say that what's happening, what's claimed to be happening now, or Wolfgang, we uh, discussed it yesterday, um, that some people, some scientists, um, and, and, and that um, I spoke to someone in Brussels at some stage, that there were experiments uh, showing that uh, people who uh, got injected, that you can see a MAC uh, code on a mobile phone, even if they uh, don't carry any electronic gear, so that you can receive a frequency emanating from them that you can measure so that they might be trackable like a microwave. Um, I don't know if that is true, Wolfgang. What information do you have in that context? Yes, I've heard about that, but it contradicts what you've just said before. The 5G radiation has no 
uh, it doesn't go deep into the body. It stays at the surface of the skin. The, high more, the higher the frequency, the lower it gets into the body, and it wouldn't work. If somewhere in the body you want to do something, you would then, of course, need a long-wave radiation to penetrate the brain, for example. And I think it's a contradiction that this is connected to 5G then. Well, one thing is that the radiation penetrates more deeply than the normal physical uh, considerations would indicate. I won't go too much into technical detail. In the air, we have something called a free wave with electrical and mag magnetic uh, field strength, which is vertically identically uh, to each other. If they, uh, if this wave gets into body uh, fluids, then this um, balance is disturbed. Uh, the electrical um, strength is weakened, and the magnetic one penetrates much deeply in the body, which has consequences, of course. So this uh, simple calculation. Um, as it's made, particularly by IGNIP, is wrong. There are other mechanisms um, that I can't speak about in detail now, but uh, the radiation penetrates a bit more deeply. But all of that is very complicated. It's much easier if you do what the Chinese do. The trend is for a, an electronic passport to be issued. So, if this is imposed, people will be uh, obliged to carry a mobile um, at uh, all times. And in um, uh, a Chinese uh, student was uh, living in a um, uh, in, in a flat um, with a, um, a number of other people, and uh, a young man went missing for days. So she went um, to report it to the police, asking. Uh, this this uh, person has suffered an accident, and uh, the policeman in China there was able to uh, identify um, precisely where this person was at what time. This is possible. This tracking is possible with a uh, well, uh, electronic passport. That's possible here as well. The police can do that. They can localize your phone, uh, whatever company it be, and you have a laptop. You can see where it is. So that's possible now already. Well, but I switch my mobile off, and um, um, it, if you want to uh, turn it on um, remotely, you have to um, shield it, and that may not be well known. There is a possibility which might not be used so um, infrequently uh, for a uh, switched-off mobile phone to be switched on by the police, for instance, remotely. Yeah, I've heard that, uh, but if we... Um, uh, can take away the fear that people get installed some hardware by the injections that uh, may look like printed circuits or something like that. I'm very skeptical of that because I can't imagine how to get the hardware updates. We'll get a new cell phone every three years and technology evolves. You can't put new electronics into the body every three years. I think that's a bit uh, far-fetched um, from technology-wise and biologically seeing. I don't think it makes sense, uh, well, looking at it from the other side. I think what you say, any devices on you, 
that you are uh, depend on to pay or whatever to move, they are getting smaller and smaller. You have watches nowadays. Um, maybe you'll have something in, uh, you know, earrings or whatever. This way of controlling the people, allowing things or not, is much more probable and much easier and uh, more, much more open to innovation rather than putting something into the body of the people when you don't know what happens to it inside the body, what uh, does the immune system do, and maybe it makes it sick, and then they will be out, uh, they will get sick, and it's not worth it. I don't think it sounds logic also from that side. And uh, I think what you say, getting the people into keeping the electronics around, maybe in the body or in, in the in the clothes, uh, is easier than putting it into the body. I agree, but I'd underline that this is the current state of the art. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to predict what the situation would be 10 years down the line. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought it possible to see what I'm seeing today. I'm just being cautious, but for now, um, I agree with you fully, but we already have so much information with many devices, you can't even switch off Wi-Fi. With my printer at home, even the salesman told me he doesn't know where the chip is, you can't switch it off. With many musical instruments, you can't turn it off, uh, music, uh, musical devices, you can't turn it off anymore. Or consider the Tesla vehicles they uh, that have cameras all around, what you can read on uh, the news are only the positive cases where the cameras helped uh, solve crimes. That's the positive cases, but the negative ones aren't reported about, of course. But it all goes towards 100% um, surveillance. Well, if the neighbors got a Tesla, you can't say, take your cameras away, I don't want to be filmed, park your car elsewhere. By the way, under German law, that is illegal. What the heck? Well, can you think that uh, one is possible at some point down the line, uh, looking in a Chinese world, that uh, cell phones could be instrumentalized as weapons? That I got three phones together and sent an energy jet to someone? Is that thinkable? No, no, I don't see that possibility. The, the batteries in the uh, mobile phones uh, don't have enough power for that. Okay, that's comforting. We've got a few questions from the audience. What's the radiation, uh, what technology is more risky, 2G, 3G, 4G? I'd say clearly 5G because of the effect that more data can be transmitted, even with the old frequencies, that means obviously more radiation. And the second effect, with these new frequency, with this pencil beam, you have huge peak values, of course, and these peak values are what is biologically relevant. Okay, and then we have the question, uh, we refer to Elon Musk, where the new Starlink um, is um, appeases this uh, power. It's coming from above, everywhere, 
the buffaloes in the prairies will be hit? Under current technology, and I uh, underscore today's technology that can be different tomorrow, it's difficult for a normal mobile phone to pick up these weak signals um, or to reach the satellites with their own uh, transmitter. So today, um, that means what is usually done is that the satellites contact an Earth station and the Earth station then locally um, distributes the signal. So you gain nothing radiation-wise. Theoretically, um, what you could do is that you have very weak radiation coming from the top. And if you don't have a 5G uh, mobile, that um, is itself rating a lot. It might be better, but I would consider that to be a theoretical aspect. So what are the satellites for then, if they don't help? Well, firstly, it's a question of licenses. Those companies don't need a license or they only need a license for retransmission um, on the ground and it is a benefit if you want to uh, cover huge distances uh, this leads to delays not because of the distances but because of the electronics behind it you uh, know about this if you see a, an interview on TV in Ukraine, for instance, right now, a question is asked and then um, you have a half-second delay and then you get the answer. And this delay can be, this latency can be much reduced by a satellite. One of the points um, that 5G focuses on is to shorten these uh, response times. And then it's always like if you speak to America, we don't have that. If I'm in a Zoom call with someone from the US, well, I'm in the internet then, but um, if I call them, there's no delay in that. With TV it is, due to data processing largely, but also because of the distances if you um, broadcast via satellite, because normal satellites um, are at, in higher orbits. I think it's always the people who are asked to uh, think about what to answer. That is just, just an electronic delay disappoints me a bit. Well, but you can see it um, when you see, um, look at the faces, you can see clearly when they get the question. Yeah, when they got it. Well, next question is, can you imagine a life without mobile phone personally? I would like to uh, extend that question. Could you imagine a mobile phone technology that doesn't have these negative effects? For short distances, one can use uh, light technology. That's going to happen anyway. We don't have to ask much about that. If the data volume is high enough, that's going to be the solution. For long distance, light technology is not sufficient, but then there is means to radically reduce the radiation. Um, a good example is St. Gallen, a city in Switzerland, who had the problem that uh, they had to reduce it enormously at the same time get a higher data rate. And the first thing they did was to cancel the condition 
that you can get cell phone connections from the outside, so indoor supply, they said if people want to take use the phone indoors or have internet, they should do it by uh, optical fibers that has a higher data rate, it's better and uh, not harmful. This alone reduced the radiation power massively and the transmitters were optimized in their positioning. So this means it's not only the cheapest location, but the best um, in terms of radio emission was used. And they have fantastic values, uh, very rare above uh, 100 microwatts. Uh, the German value is 10 million. So you can see what is possible. Um, in some few places, you have over 100, but very, very rarely. Well, to move to light transmission um, long term, uh, well, that's interesting. In the past, they used to have fire signals and that we should move back to light transmission without uh, fiberglass cables. That's interesting. Are there experiments going on there? You can buy this in the shop. Uh, I'm not allowed to uh, give you any company names, uh, to, otherwise I'll get into trouble. Yes, but there is big companies that sell this kind of equipment. Just look it up on the internet. Right, last question. How can we protect ourselves? Are there any possibilities not to have a mobile in the uh, bedroom and um, uh, switch off the Wi-Fi? But what can I do if I um, um, am in Berlin and there's um, people left, right and center using Wi-Fi? It's important to, at least at night, uh, switch the phone off, but that's something that I have to get irritated every time I think about it. I have uh, shielded my flat. Somebody who lives on social benefits doesn't have the money, and you don't get any tax benefit. Well, they wouldn't anyway, but um, also for middle class, there's no tax uh, help. You have to pay it all. There is commercial shields. I have this at home, and one of my daughters has it. I uh, painted my walls with special shield paint. You can buy this. The floors, I, work, I live in the first floor so I have radiation from above from below I, I try to get, go for the cheap solution first with um, a, a mesh wire that wasn't good so it's good if you have the money to spend a couple of euros for a commercial solution and because that uh, flattens the floor and doesn't do what uh, I have have all the bumps in it and for the windows there is uh, screens difficult to put on I can't do that people who can there are people and then you have to do that for every uh, window it's easier to take a curtain which is uh, through visible like you had in the past you can have this the light comes through the Sun comes through and they shield very well 
but it costs money. And would you have to um, well, I did uh, that. do that for the whole flat? Yes, I did so. I have two. Uh, I've done it uh, for my children as well. For the others, it was not necessary. Yes, but you can do that. And did you notice an effect for yourself? Do you sleep better or what? Well, not in myself. I am not electro-hypersensitive but uh, I could measure it quite clearly. And uh, one of my daughters, um, she calmed down. Yes, she got, she's doing better. Um, I can, I saw a different a difference in her personality. So uh, it would be helpful if you sleep. Uh, I imagine that like a mosquito net uh, that um, keeps uh, radiation away as well. That would be something I could imagine to be very simple. You can buy this, yes. It's easy to buy. It's all commercially available. I can't name any names, but you can find it on the internet. Just great. Such it. You never stop learning. Great. Okay, it'll keep the mosquitoes and the radiation out. Great, great stuff. Well, I don't like that kind of mosquito net. Um, I like to breathe more freely, but that's um, something you have to know yourself. Of course, it's a bit of um, aesthetics. If you've got an old wooden floor, you may not want to put the mats on there. They can be put underneath the rugs, for instance, or uh, uh, carpeting. Well, if you've got carpets, okay. <laughs> we can use the new technology in your hats, maybe. So, yeah, great. Well, I I'm not sure, Wokong, do you have another question? Yeah, well, it's, it's really great. Um, many interesting aspects, and um, it's Im important to think about uh, whether there's anything diabolical um, in the room or whatever. And, but we can see that it, we can see there are risks, but maybe uh, some places there are no risks where people expect them and think, oh, how, how dangerous is this? Well, they want to spark fear to sell things to us. It's a simple trick. It's uh, working everywhere, and uh, you have to keep that in, your, in mind. Well, of course, the commercial interests are, are there on both sides. Possibly uh, with the operators, there's more money in play there, of course. Yeah, obviously, they do. Anyway, thank you. I think that takes us to the end of the discussion with you. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome to stay with us. We have a guest from Canada, I think, who will talk to us about the resistance on the streets there. If he has joined or and still is with us, he seems to be frozen. Okay, we'll see whether he comes back to life. Thank you so far. Uh, it's happy. It's always nice to have people here in flesh and blood and be able to talk to you personally and directly. Thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. So I'll pack up my stuff. That was Professor Klaus Buchner giving us many interesting and important information, especially concerning 5G technology and high-frequency radiation. Very interesting. 
I don't know. Let me ask the producers what, how far we have got with our next guest. Otherwise, uh, we could take the opportunity to show a little clip on forgiving forgiveness we've got a very nice clip with people whom we know did on the topic that we did later earlier on um, about uh, forgiving i think it's called uh, uh, forgive me you stupid asshole and i think that's very nice and uh, i would just like to give my compliments to everybody who contributed to that in making it. Maybe we can briefly show it. I think it's very, very nice. We non-victims proudly present the film Now Forgive Me Damn it Prick Hello and good evening Yes, I welcome the uh, the poor ones as well. And yes, times are great, and the circles, um, the people I deal with confirm this all the time. But I'm frustrated by the fact that apparently a few people like me. So I think it's about time for you to generously forgive me. Just so, without any logistic, comprehensive um, investigation, without court of law, without any appropriate penalty, maybe a seizure of assets or any such all without all this nonsense really i'm not really in any humor for that sort of nonsense i would like to keep all my lovely money and all this beautiful lifestyle as well and so i was thinking maybe i uh, had tell you directly that you forgive me yes now and unless and dare you not forgive i can do other things i can give you a um, ticket well you second prick i'll talk to your employer you whatever you son of a isn't it just punishment enough that i had to interrupt my life of luxury for politics for a few years so you think nothing comes from nothing so just don't be um too harsh business is business it wasn't personal we all get sick at some stage and we all die in the end so the injection only 
accelerated what would come sooner or later anyway. A survey among friends said that one out of a hundred has already forgiven me. And if that continues at this speed, then soon one out of a hundred thousand will soon have forgiven me. So forgive me as I would forgive myself if only I knew what to uh, forgive or as if I could do calculus, because life is so beautiful. Well, the other day, somebody approached me saying, Mr. Scholz, I just um, replaced my electric stove uh, with a um, um, gas stove. And to prevent reinterpretation, who suffered a loss, that they should be helped. And if you don't forgive me, then, to be honest, I don't give a shit. Enjoy your evening. All the contributors say, the end will only come when everything has been comprehensively dealt with and people have been held liable. This was, now forgive me, you prick. main cast someone who was totally in the wrong place and stupidly talks about forgiveness director someone who doesn't think anything of somebody who is in the wrong place begging for forgiveness camera someone who wanted to capture with images what it uh, means if somebody is in the totally wrong place in a position of responsibility Cast, heavy heart mode. Camera, Roland Roger. Camera assistant, Ashley Anton. Sound, Faze Philip. Sound assistant, Tom Theodore. Cut, Roland Ringo. Special effects, color Connie.
script. Susie, the good one. <clears throat> makeup. Makeup. Oh, makeup. Uh, Tupperware. <laughs> Film crew, breakfast, head organizer, P. Bocuse. Egg supplier for film crew breakfast, Ziggy. Film crew breakfast um, roll supplier, Paul the Baker. Film crew drink supplier, Gordon Kulch. Director Alexander of Hochburg. Very nice, very nice, and very nice team. I know all of them personally. It's uh, fun to work with them. So now uh, we have our last guest for today who has been unfrozen now, and uh, we'll see whether we can get him in Christopher Sakotchwa since he da. Can you hear us? Hello. Hi, nice to see you. Yeah, um, you are a, um, well, controversial but well-known uh, freedom, health and human rights activist in Canada. And there was a, a, a video clip from you um, from uh, September 2020, and I think maybe we should see this like as an introduction because you made some um, had a very good um, per perception of what was gonna go down in the near future when you made and that statement. I don't statement. know what's so controversial about simply telling the truth. Okay, maybe controversial. Uh, you were just no, uh, no. You're right. You're right to say yeah. that because they they try to make it seem like I'm very controversial, but the reality is all I do is tell the truth the truth that they don't want you to know. And that's why it's controversial, because telling the truth in a world of universal deceit is now a revolutionary act. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Okay, so let's, so let's see that uh, video, if we, if we have, have it available. Compliance, because they know Canadians like to do what they're told. So they tell you you have to wear a mask. Next, they're going to tell you you have to contact trace. Then they're going to tell you you have to take the vaccine. And because Canadians like to do what they're told, they're hoping that everyone just complies. And then guess what, kids? Once you take your vaccine, like a dumb person that doesn't know any better, they're going to tell you, sorry, the vaccine isn't as effective as we thought it was going to be. So now you still got to wear your mask, still got to get contact trace, still have all the restrictions and social distancing and still take your vaccine. And then what did you get out of all of this? You got a whole year where you weren't allowed to travel. Your business was closed. They took your rights and freedoms. They forced the vaccine on you. And what happened? The same amount of people died. Everything is the exact same. And now they're going to put you back on lockdown and bring it all the way till July of next year so they can do the same thing again. Bring you from July, August, and September, getting you off lockdown, but just to bring you back on lockdown again. If you idiots haven't figured it out yet, it's a perpetual cycle that you never get out of. 
and it's a way to take your rights, your freedoms, close your business, take your wealth. Why? So you become dependent on government. Why? If you're independent, the government works for you like it's supposed to. If you depend on the government to give you a paycheck to feed your family every month because they closed your business on you, now the government doesn't work for you. The government rules you. So instead of a middle class, we have the government, upper class, and the lower class dependents that rely on the government to survive. In other words, we have a slave class. And that's what they're trying to do. It's that simple. Wow. Yeah. So what's your take on the whole situation? If you if you look at the last two years, what have you been have, what have you done and what's going on, especially well, in Canada? Well, it's pretty obvious that they have a goal and that goal is what they like to call the Great Reset. And what that means is they want to put everybody into a situation where you cannot survive without government assistance. They want you on a universal basic income. They want you on a digital biometric identity where you need to prove who you are for every single transaction, as simple as buying groceries. And then they want you on a digital currency that the government has complete control over. And once they get you on all that, if they ban cash, the last linchpin to make sure that you and your family and generations after you are slaves that can never attain wealth, never attain any type of success, they will make that digital currency that they control and they issue expire. So now, it doesn't matter how many jobs you have, how many businesses you have, how many extra hours you work or overtime you work, you will never be able to accumulate wealth for you, your family, or your future. Because if you don't spend this money in a certain amount of time, the government will simply just recuperate it out of your bank account and say that you're hoarding. People in Germany should understand this. They went through Nazi Germany where it said, show me your papers, please, so you could go places. How is that any different to the vaccine passport system? How is it any different from segregating society based on if you're going to choose to allow us to take away your medical autonomy or not? Henry Kissinger wasn't shy. He said it very blatantly. If the people allow mandatory vaccination, they'll allow anything. Force blood draw, force organ donation. You'll literally be controlled cradle to grave. And Germany's trying to lead the way in this tyranny. You're already trying to put a, a law that would bring back mandatory masks every October perpetually, which is literally exactly what I said on the video in 2020, that they want to get you off lockdown in the summer just to bring you back on lockdown every winter so you're in a perpetual cycle you never get out of. And how does Germany respond? Oh, we're going to make it mandatory to wear masks every October. And we're going to tell Germans to download a little app that's green, green when you've been vaccinated. But as soon as your vaccine's been over a month or two, now it's going to go yellow to remind you that you're going to have to get your booster. Never-ending cycle. And when it goes yellow, it's going to remind you that you're not fully protected, so you still got to wear your mask. What a surprise. How is it different from anything I said in the video? It's literally identical. And the reason being, they know if they could train you to believe that individual rights and freedoms are selfish and dangerous, even though all the way up until now, they've been so paramount to a successful society, millions of people fought and died in world wars to protect them. Now, all of a sudden, you're a bad person if you don't willingly give up your rights and freedoms for the greater good. And we were told it was temporarily because of COVID. And now that COVID's kind of tapering off and they're trying to bring it back, they're switching over to climate change because COVID can only last a few years. Climate change agendas can last generations. So now they want to continue the same ideas and the same policies 
and they want to encode them into climate change laws so they can last generations. Just like you're seeing in the Netherlands. What did they do? Under the guise of nitrogen emissions, now CO2 isn't going to kill us, nitrogen is going to kill us, even though it's 70 plus percent of the atmosphere. And what is the bigger, the biggest producer of nitrogen in the world? Oh, it's our farming and agricultural industry. So obviously the only way to save the world now is to destroy the food supply. So now we've gone from human beings are individuals with rights and freedoms, and those rights and freedoms are paramount to society. COVID took us to, okay, we're human beings, but we need to give up our rights and freedoms for the greater good and to save grandma and babies, or you're a bad person. To now, human beings are the cancer on the planet, and the mere idea of feeding humans is actually killing the planet. So now we need to starve the humans to save the planet. So we went all the way from individuals where rights and freedoms were paramount to individuals where rights and freedoms are killing the planet and they need to be destroyed and you need to give up all your decision making to the government. That's what the Great Reset is all about. Number one, taking your wealth. Number two, taking your ability to say no. And number three, taking away all the decisions that you are used to be able to make for yourself. Why? Because if somebody else is making your decisions for you, they are going to get the result they want for you every single time. So this idea that you're going to be able to have a successful life or a successful family or a successful career, it goes right down the drain. They want you in a position where they can control what you do every single day, where you go every single day, what you can spend your money on every single day, and exactly all that they don't want you to have a car for mobility they don't want you to be able to internationally travel they definitely don't want you to have any type of weaponry where you can stand up to them they don't even want you to be able to accumulate wealth because the mere fact of you accumulating wealth means that you will be able to raise your position in society and they do not want to be challenged they want you down here forever so they are setting up a massive international control grid technocratically, and they're literally tricking people into complying. And now that the tricking people stopped working and people took off the mask, people listened to me and they just said no, people around the world learned what united non-compliance means, the globalists are changing tactics. Rather than try to scare us with COVID, now they're going to try to starve people into submission. I was on my world tour in September. I was actually in Germany as part of it. Too bad I didn't get to do the show in person. But part of my world tour, it started in England. I was in Ireland. Uh, then we were in Belgium, France, Netherlands, and Germany. And what we found out in, in England, when the queen was being buried, as I was speaking, we had 500 world leaders there. Uh, everyone was there. The German leader was there. The Canadian leader was there. The US leader was there. 500 world leaders there. What were they discussing? They weren't discussing the queen's funeral arrangements, ladies and gentlemen. They were discussing how the globalists are going to move forward and keep all their goals in place. Their goals being a digital identity, a digital currency, and eliminating cash and having you all on their own control grid. So how are they going to do it now? Very simple. They already told you. They're planning a global recession. They're going to make everything you need to survive more expensive every month. Your electricity your food bill, your gas bill, 
your natural gas to heat your home. I think Germans know all about this. And what are they going to tell you? Oh, it's because of Russia. You guys cannot afford to eat. You guys, can't, we can't afford to feed you. We can't even afford to heat the homes in Germany without buying firewood from Canada because we have no more access to Russian natural gas because of evil Putin. It obviously has nothing to do with all the sanctions we put on Russia to, to create these conditions. No, no, no. So they're using the war in Ukraine and Russia as a reason to impoverish Europe and the rest of the country. They want you guys to feel pain. They want you guys to go hungry. They want you guys to freeze over the winter. And all the while, every month, it's going to get more expensive just for you to survive. Why? Because guess what? In six months, 99% of the population who's on a fixed budgetary monthly income simply won't be able to make ends meet. If everything keeps getting more expensive every month, but you're getting the same amount of pay every month, what's eventually going to happen to every single person in the country? They're going to get to a point where they can't pay their bills. And when you have that point where 20 or 30% of the population can't pay their bills, the government's going to talk about universal basic income as their new method to save you. And the vast majority of people will rather sign up for a digital identity, give their iris, give their fingerprint, give their facial recognition, give their voice recognition, than rather starve. And then for the supposed middle class people, they have a wonderful trap for you too. How many Germans, just like Canadians, are living in houses too expensive for them to really afford and paying more on their monthly mortgage payments than they really should? How many percentage of interest points would that mortgage have to rise as they're doing in Canada? It's already risen up one and a half percent in a year and it's going to rise more. So if they raise your interest rates three percent, how many of these supposed middle class people who are now going to lose their house, have to downsize, have to lower their standard of living, would rather just download the Digital Identity Act and go with the Universal Basic Income Program so they could keep their lifestyle. The government has ways to try to coerce you to do what they want. Before it was massive threats. Wear the, wear the mask and take the jab, or you're not going to be able to travel, you're not going to be able to work. We might even tax you and imprison you if you don't go along with it. That's how far it went. And as long as people complied and did what the government told them, it would have only got worse. If we didn't fight back, if we didn't start the trucker convoy in Canada, you Germans and everyone else around the world would have still complied. And it would have gotten to the point where if you were unvaccinated, you would be a complete second-class citizen. You would be taxed. You might be arrested. You wouldn't have access to the majority of society. It wasn't an accident that this just stopped. No, it stopped because the people finally stood up for themselves. Like I told you, that's the only way it would stop. So now that the people and the government know that the only way the government can do this stuff to you is if you go along with it, they're trying to take away the freedom of choice for the people. And how are they doing that? By simply making everything you need to live more expensive every single month. It's just like they, it's the boiling frog in the water. They had us all in the frog. They had us all frogs in the water. They were boiling us. They were boiling us so hot that a lot of us started jumping out of the water and telling the other ones, you better jump out of the water. So what happened? All the frogs started jumping out of the water. So what did they do? They just turned the heat down a little bit. So all the frogs jump back in the water and they're still getting boiled, but it's so comfortable that they don't care. So that's what they're trying to do right now. They're going to try to slowly slowly death by a thousand cuts around the world usher everybody in to a position where they are going to be dependent on the government and they're either not going to be able to feed themselves 
or they're not going to be able to keep the same lifestyle they had. And the government believes that the vast majority of people will simply submit to their digital identity at this point. And like I said, if they get you on a digital identity, they get you on a digital currency, and then they ban cash, they own you. Remember when they had you on lockdown and said you can't go more than five kilometers from your house or else? Well, let's fast forward 10 years from now when all cars are electric because they're going to ban gas-powered cars, as they told you. Now, they don't want you to go five kilometers from your house. They just switch off your electric car. If you decide you're going to get on your bicycle and pedal more than five kilometers from your house and you walk into a store to buy something, your digital identity is going to show that you're outside of your five-kilometer allowed radius. So what's going to happen? Your digital wallet's not going to work. They're going to say, sorry, you're out of your range. You won't even be able to purchase anything. And even if you're in a store within your range, they will get to choose what you are allowed to purchase. Oh, all that stuff in aisle three, those are non-essential items. You can't buy that today. And then the best part of all that, once again, like I said, if you allow them to ban cash and you allow them to control the only currency you're allowed to use, not only will it be digital, not only will they have complete control over it, they will make it expire just like China is already experimenting with because that is the final nail in the coffin. When they have you on a digital ID, a digital currency, no access to cash or other types of currency, and they can make your currency expire, they now own you, body, mind, and soul for generations to come, forever, unless you rise up. But you won't be able to rise up because they already took your guns, they already took your wealth, and they're doing everything to demoralize men and make men believe that being masculine is bad. That is the only reason that this has been able to, pro to proliferate. The last 50 plus years, they've been attacking men, they've been attacking the family unit, and that's why when the government came out with all these ridiculous restrictions, the average man, rather than stand up and say, I'm not gonna put a mask on my wife and kids, I'm not gonna put a, a needle in their arm, what did they do instead? oh, honey, honey, just put the mask on. We don't want any confrontation. And then they told their kids, oh, just listen to your teachers. And after they told their kids to just listen to their teachers, now what do we have in Canada? We have a new law passed where your teacher can tell your four-year-old that they believe that they're a different gender. And then that teacher can start calling your little boy, John, Jill, and a girl. And not only will they not have to get parental consent, they will not even inform the parents because it's the child's decision. Why? Because for the last two years, when the kid came home to the parents and said, Mommy, Daddy, I don't like this mask. It makes me feel bad. I can't breathe. What did the parents say? Oh, listen to your teacher. The parents literally made the state the number one influence and the number one caregiver in their own child's life. And now they're wondering why their kids are all screwed up. It's very simple. And, wow. that's, what the, and that's exactly what the government wants. Mm -hmm. Well, um, like from the when your uh, video came out, um, is that how was that received? And did you wake up a lot of people? How, how what happened after you came out with your statement back then? That video that you just played, uh, I've seen it translated to more than 14 different languages. And I've seen that it's got hundreds of millions of views all around the world on virtually every platform. It had uh, making videos like that is the reason I'm banned. I'm banned on Instagram. I'm banned on Facebook. I'm banned on YouTube. I'm banned on TikTok. I'm highly censored on Telegram. In fact, on TikTok, you can't even write hashtag Chris Sky 
or you can't even use the words Chris Sky in a video description. It will say contains banned words. <laughs> so I believe I'm the most censored man on planet Earth, to be honest. I don't know anybody else who's banned on every single international platform who's been arrested. I've been arrested 23 times in 25 months. I was even arrested in the Netherlands and in Ireland while I was on my tour in September. And I had a myriad of bail conditions that prevented me from driving, prevented me from flying, prevented me from speaking in lots of different places. They took away my legally owned guns. They forced me to even relinquish my driver's license and relinquish my firearms license. So I'm on a really long laundry list of charges, crimes, bail conditions. I'm vilified by the media, the government by other so-called freedom fighters that are actually infiltrators and government plants. But the reality is all I've done for the last two and a half years is tell people the truth, tell people what they're really trying to do, tell people what they're really, their end goals really are and tell people how to fight back. I've made countless videos teaching people about their rights and how to, what to say, what to do so they can retain their rights and freedoms. The video I made in the airport is the reason we no longer have a hotel quarantine in Canada, because people realize that the government didn't really have the legal authority to stuff something up your nose, force you onto a bus, force you into a hotel where you're not allowed to leave for three days and charge you $1,000 a night for it. People were actually so afraid of their government and so ignorant of their own rights that they would come home from a vacation as a Canadian citizen wait three hours in a lineup so the government could shove a cancer-causing uh, <laughs> chemical up their nose. And I'm talking about ethylene oxide, which is used on every single COVID test. And ethylene oxide is one of the number one cancer-causing chemicals in the world, especially damaging when inhaled. So let's shove it up people's nose. And after they've done that to you, they put you on a bus that's literally filled with people who flew from all around the world who haven't been tested negative yet, and now they're going to bring you to a government quarantine facility, which is a glorified hotel. And then they're going to lock you in the room. You're not allowed to leave that room for three days. They drop food at the door. You are a literal prisoner for three days. And they were charging Canadians about $3,000 for this service, for this service to come home to your own country, be forcibly tested, be forcibly confined, and then be put in a prison for three days that you're paying for. And all I did was come back and show people, I'm not gonna, and to simply, I'm not gonna take your test, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm not gonna go on your little bus, I'm a Canadian citizen, and I'm definitely not gonna go to your hotel quarantine because I'm a Canadian citizen. And I filmed the police, and I filmed the airport staff, and I made the police admit on the video that they couldn't do anything to me but give me one of those wonderful fines, and I've had over $100,000 in those fines, and they're all about as valuable as toilet paper if people fight them. And then what happened? I got walked right out of the airport by the police. I didn't even have to wait in any line. And what happened with those tickets? Like I said, I wiped my ass with them because that's all they're good for. And that's and when people saw that, millions of people saw that, we had little old ladies that would previously not say boo to the authorities coming back and say, I'm not taking your test. And we had millions of Canadians do the same thing. And guess what? Within two weeks, there was no more hotel quarantine. That's why I do the things I want to do. And this, I want everybody to be aware that in the holiday season coming up, 
They are going to ramp up fear like you've never imagined. They're going to start talking about how the need to bring back mask mandates. They're already talking about this triple-demic of the flu that was gone for two years, by the way. We had no flu cases and no flu deaths for two years. Everything was COVID. Now, all of a sudden, we have the flu again, we have COVID, and we have RSV virus. They try to make RSV feel, seem like it's some new virus. Why? Because number one, they want to scare you. RSV has been around forever. Parents have been getting, little kids have been getting it forever. But the reason they're publicizing it so much this year is quite simple. Pfizer just came out with and got the stage three approvals for an RSV vaccine marketed for pregnant women. So now everything you see on the news, when people watch the news, they have to understand that they're basically watching one long commercial for big pharma. Big Pharma pays 75% of all the ads that go on the news. So if you don't think that they also influence the content of the news as well as the ads that the news plays, then you're pretty friggin' stupid. That is why every news station is talking about RSV virus and telling mothers that their babies are going to be born sick or born into the hospital. They want to scare you into getting another vaccine. And they're going to try to scare you. This is the most important thing. They're going to try to scare you to not invite your family and friends over for Christmas. Let me say that again. They are going to try to prevent you from having a normal Christmas. Why? Because they know if people like me that are unjabbed, unmasked, healthier than the jabbed and masked, show up to family and Christmas dinners, and they're making fun of Aunt Sally who's wearing two masks at the dinner table, and they're making fun of Uncle George because he took his fourth jab and he's twitching at the dinner table, and I'm sitting there, no mask and no jab, and I'm perfectly healthy, and everybody's laughing and having a good time and not afraid of each other, they do not want that because everybody will realize that they didn't need the mask, they didn't need the jab, and then they'll be far less likely to go along with any more of the government's BS. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna tell everybody, don't invite people over unless they wear a mask. Don't invite people over unless they get their booster. They're going to try to scare people to stop them from coming together. They're going to try to create as much division, fear, isolation, and hopelessness as possible. So if you want to be a freedom fighter, if you want to have a big effect on the consciousness of the world and the state of world affairs going into 2023, all you have to do this holiday season is spread the love, Reinvite everybody that you hadn't invited the last two years. Don't ask them to wear a mask. Don't ask them to be boosted and just have a good Christmas and family holidays. That's all you have to do in the next month. And you will see the whole COVID narrative collapse. And then we can focus on the worldwide global recession that they are literally doing everything they can to make sure happens. Well, and um, I think that's a very good plan with the Christmas thing, because that, you know, you can really spread the news. Like, I mean, if you gather with like maybe 10 people or so, boom, you have a, a giant um, multiplication system there. I was wondering, um, so like, were you, what was your life before um, the whole Corona thing? Like, when did you realize, were you aware of problems in the society or like with the whole um, agenda going on before it all happened or did Corona wake you up? Well, I've been awake for a very long time. People that know me know I've been speaking out against the government, the new world order, the one world government plan, one world currency plan for years, 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 years. I was never public about it because I didn't want to look like a freaking crazy person that's screaming and yelling when they're not really doing anything. I knew what they were planning on doing, but they hadn't really started yet. 
Uh, my life before COVID, my name Chris Sky, first of all, isn't some stage name. I own a company called Sky Homes Corporation, and I'm an award-winning developer and builder for residential homes in Canada. And I've been doing that for over 25 years. So that's what I was doing before COVID. My life consisted of enjoying my career, providing uh, residences for the community. And my number one passion was traveling the world with my wonderful wife. We've been to over 40 countries. And we were traveling right to the right when COVID, like right up until COVID started. We were literally riding the wave. Actually, since 2020 to now, I've still traveled to over 17 countries, been through 30 international airports. I've never worn a mask, never taken a jab, I have a mask and vax exemption. So, uh, yeah, that's what we were doing before COVID. I only spoke out out of necessity because I figured if I didn't, we were going to be screwed. I didn't even want to speak out. It was my wife that convinced me to speak out because I already knew. They're going to come after my business. I already knew they were going to come after my character. I already knew they were going to try to target me and arrest me. And I didn't really want to go through all that. And trust me, nobody likes getting arrested. Nobody likes going to jail. And definitely nobody likes getting transferred from a jail to a prison where they strip you, scan you, put you in an orange jumpsuit. And then because you're me and because you won't take a jab, you won't wear a mask and you won't take a test. Guess what? I get thrown in solitary confinement. So all the other prisoners are having cellmates and they get out of their cell twice a day for an hour, hour and a half so they can shower, go to the gym, watch a movie, interact with people. I was in my cell for over 23 hours and 30 minutes every single day by myself, no access to shower, no access to gym, no access to the TV. I literally just have to sit there and wait for my court date because I know when I get to court, they're going to have to let me out because they arrested me for no reason. I have over 50 pending charges. I've been arrested 23 times, yet I'm almost 40 years old and I have no criminal record whatsoever. So what the hell does that tell you? It tells you that we're living in a time that's no different than when the communists were in charge and just targeting their political opponents. Only now they do it with a much better public relations campaign. But guess what? If they can do this to me, they can do it to anybody. Look what happened even to Kanye West in the, in the United States. He's a black guy that said white lives matter. What happened? JP Morgan literally closed his bank accounts because he said white lives matter. Meanwhile, did JP Morgan close the bank account of Jeffrey Epstein after he got charged running the largest human trafficking ring in history? Absolutely not. Did JP Morgan close the account of Adolf Hitler during the Nazi war? Absolutely not. But a man, as soon as they said white lives matter, had his bank accounts frozen. This is the world we live in today. And it's very scary. Even myself, I had to deal with one of the major banks. We only have four or five major banks in Canada. And one of them, Royal Bank, is a World Economic Forum partner. Well, I partnered with somebody who has a business that could, let's just say, bother the global elites. I sent a wire transfer from my Royal Bank to this person. He's on the same type of radar as me. We, they call us persons of interest. And guess what happened? The wire transfer went through as it was supposed to. Everything was fine. Within two days, I got a letter from the bank stating that I needed to provide them all this special documentation, including an invoice for exactly what the money was for, which is completely illegal, which we did because we wanted to rub it in what we were doing. And as soon as we did and they found out that I was partnering in a completely legal business, but that this business had the ability to help people and hurt the government, guess what happened? I walked into Royal Bank and I had no access to my accounts. 
they tried to tell me they couldn't identify me. They had me on a Google search, but they couldn't identify me. I brought in my passport that I used to open the account, but they couldn't identify me. I brought in my wife with our marriage license, her IDs, had a lawyer on the phone ready to notarize my identity and seven other identities. They couldn't identify me. They called the RCMP, which is like the equivalent of the Canadian FBI, on me to the bank. Even at that point, after the police officers identified me, they couldn't identify me. It wasn't until I had to make an official complaint, which was told to me by the RCMP to do, to the ombudsman, which are the banking regulators of Canada, to where Royal Bank finally called me. And over the phone, on a Skype like this, they identified me in about two minutes. And as soon as I was identified officially, the next step was to close all my accounts on me. Why? Because I sent a wire transfer to somebody regarding a media company and a media campaign. That's how scary Canada has become. That's Thank you. That's really crazy. The, um, now, uh, we have a question from the audience. Uh, what do you think about the politics um, Danielle Smith is doing in Alberta? Is, is this, uh, is, <laughs> does this fill you with hope or is it a hoax? I'm in Alberta right now, and I'm in Alberta because I told my wife, we're going to go to Alberta and spend some time there and split our time between Ontario and Alberta because Alberta is going to be the place that gets rid of masks and vaccine passports first, and it was. Well, Saskatchewan was like two days prior for the vaccine passport, but she got what I say. And I said, and Alberta is a place where everyone is ready to fight back. If you come to Alberta, it's like the Texas of Canada. People, there's uh, more pickup trucks here than anywhere else in Canada. There's more guns here than anywhere else in Canada. And there's more people that want to be left alone and want to make their own decisions than anywhere else in Canada. So Danielle Smith came in and I was trying to find bad things about her, to be honest. I was trying because I didn't trust her. I don't trust any politician. But so far, she's been pretty good. Uh, she even went so far as yesterday, they officially banned masks and online learning for junior kindergarten all the way up to grade 12, which I think was amazing. <laughs> However, I also found out today that they don't have the same authority over the uh, post-secondary universities. And because those universities all get millions and millions of dollars from these pharmaceutical companies, I wouldn't be surprised if within a week you hear that there are now mask mandates in Edmonton University and other parts of Edmonton. Because even though we have uh, Danielle Smith, the premier in Alberta, and she's basically in charge of Alberta Health Services. We also have a very pro-mandate mayor in Edmonton. And even after the mask mandate was rescinded by Alberta Health Services, this mayor took it upon himself to issue his own personal mask mandate for the, for the city of Edmonton. So there's a lot of politics going on in Canada. What you are going to see is you're going to see mask mandates returning first to places like Ontario, which they already did, Windsor public facilities and now Burlington public facilities and then it's going to be followed they tried to do it in the schools but it got voted down in Durham and in Ottawa there was a massive protest that wouldn't even allow them to carry on the vote because parents are finally standing up uh, the next step is going to be to try to convince people in Quebec that they need it in their health facilities schools and public transit and unfortunately that one's probably going to work because Quebec is in a unique position where the vast majority of their population doesn't speak English so they don't have alternate media they don't get the US media they don't get the UK or Australian media they don't get the alternative internet media all they get is the corrupt Quebec media and the even more corrupt 
France media. So there, it's like a different country when you go into Quebec and the people are much more compliant and much more brainwashed. So what I think you're going to see in the next few weeks, you're going to see massive uh, propaganda to try to bring back mass in as many situations as possible, primarily in Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia. Uh, you're going to see calls. Uh, you're going to see calls for trying to get people to take the stupid bivalent booster, which, by the way, they they did the first study on healthcare workers, and in the UK, 30% of the people who participated in the study could not return to work. One out of three healthcare workers that took their new safe and effective bivalent booster were not able to return to work. Uh, so they're gonna be pushing the mask, they're gonna be pushing that garbage, and they're gonna try to be scaring families not to hook up with each other this Christmas. And that's what you're gonna see over the next three weeks. And then 2023 is gonna be basically, uh, can't really predict 2023 until we see how people react at Christmas. If everybody comes together at Christmas and everybody ignores the government at Christmas, 2023 is going to be an amazing year. It's going to be a year, a revolution of thought and a revolution of action. COVID will be a thing of memory and people are going to be focusing on the new, uh, the new tactics of the globalists of trying to starve them into submission. And when people realize what's going on, they're going to adapt and they're going to overcome. That is what I want to see happen for the end of this year and all of next year. That sounds great. Um, one question with regard to this, uh, to Danielle Smith. I mean, since she's um, part of a party, um, is uh, she must have, I mean, is she the only one they, they didn't realize um, that she was going to go in that direction? Or is what it a mistake? I believe is they read the writing on the wall. Albertans were vehemently against mandates so if they tried to put somebody into power that was going to basically do what jason kenny did which was pay them lip service and then flip-flop and do the mandates like he was told to do like all the other it wouldn't fly anymore the people in alberta simply wouldn't put up with it and that's the only reason it's free it's just like in the united states look at california look at new york they have horrible restrictions and a horrible way of life why because the people allow it You always get the government you deserve. You will get the restrictions that you put up with. It's that simple. If you're one of those people like me and you're not going to put up with restrictions, surprise, you're not going to have restrictions. I've never worn a mask because I won't. It's that simple. If you have that conviction, you will not be restricted. But if you're one of those so-called men that is so afraid of confrontation in your own shadow that you're going to put on the mask before you go into the grocery store because, you know, the little 70-year-old door greeter might tell you, hey, Sonny, put on the mask, and you don't have the balls to say no. Well, then you deserve to wear the mask because you're a bitch. And I'm sorry. That's the only reason this is able to happen because the vast majority of people have been weakened, weakened in mind and body, and that's why they're compliant. If you're strong in mind and you're strong in body, You're going to be confident and you're going to be able to make your own decisions. And the last thing you're going to want is somebody else making your decisions for you. But if you're weak, if you're a man and you never go to the gym and you're weak and you know that the average guy out there could beat you up, you're going to be a lot more compliant, aren't you? Let's think about jail for a second. If you're in jail and some guy says, give me your shoes and you're 120 pounds because you've never lifted a weight in your life and you've never fought in your life, what are you going to do? You're going to give them your friggin' shoes because you know you're going to get your ass kicked. Meanwhile, if you're in jail and you're jacked up and you train every day and you've been doing martial arts for 20 years and some guy says, give me your shoes, 
you're going to smile at him and say no. And that guy's going to realize, oh, my God, this guy's confident and will probably beat the shit out of me. So I'm not going to try to take his shoes. And surprise, surprise, not only did you retain your shoes, you didn't even have to fight. Why? Because you were prepared to. The average man is not prepared to. The average man projects that weakness. The average man projects this uh, aura that their compliance makes them virtuous. No, their compliance makes you weakness. The measure of a man is his willingness to act. A man is supposed to be dangerous, but he's supposed to be able to control it. A man that's not dangerous, a man that cannot take action is not a man. He's a compliant servant. And that's what we have now. We have an entire globe populated by males, not men, populated by males who have been demoralized, have been weakened in body and mind to now be compliant, subservient slaves. So much so that they won't even stand up for their own families, for their own children. That's disgusting. But isn't that true for women as well? Because, I mean, there's also a lot of strength in a woman that's determined, who's determined to, you know, not let them, uh, whatever, let the children to um, allow them that's to have... That's the problem. The women are leading the charge. When I get calls, when I get calls about angry parents that don't want to put the mask on their kid, 90% of the time, it's a mom, not a dad. And the mom's complaining that the dad's a bitch. And the number one thing I hear from women is, I wish my husband was more like you. <laughs> Let me say that again. I wish my husband was more like you. You think a woman wants a husband that says, oh, honey, put that mask on. I don't want to have to, t I don't want to have to deal with anybody. Or little Johnny, put the mask on because you don't want to upset the teachers at your school. That's not a man. You're a bitch. You're not a father. You're a bitch. You're not a husband. You're a bitch. And I have no problem telling you, because guess what? You're not going to do anything because you're a bitch, period. It's really that simple. Every man needs to look at themselves in the mirror and say, this happened because of me. If you're relying on your woman or your children to be the ones to stand up for your family, you are a disgusting subhuman. When in the history of humanity have the men sat down and let the women lead the charge physically ever ever only in 2022 because you see it in movies charlie's there and going in there and beating the crap out of 17 guys in one room no ladies and gentlemen in reality the man has to fight for his family the man has to fight for his country the man has to fight for himself if you're letting your woman do that You're not a man. You're not fulfilling your role. You're not fulfilling your duties or your responsibilities. So look at yourself in the mirror and do what you got to do to train yourself mentally, physically, become stronger, become prepared to be what you need to be, a man. Thank you. <laughs> okay, that's a great statement. Um, I was wondering, we have a, a, a point here on the, um, on the list. Um, the George Soros. Yeah, what his influence on on the opposition, and also the issue of the controlled opposition within the resistance movement. What's your take on that? It's per. I was literally just talking about Anarchapolco the other day. Have you heard of that? It's the big conference yes, run by Jeff Berwick, aka the Dollar Vigilante. Well, they invited me to speak there. They called me up in September 2021, and at first I thought it was a really good event, and I didn't know much about it except what I had heard through the grapevine. When I got on the Zoom call, I was met by two women. One of them 
takes out her breasts and starts breastfeeding a child right in front of me at the start of what's supposed to be a professional business meeting. So already I was like taken aback. It was hard for me to respect them and take them seriously because I could tell she did this on purpose because she could have also just breastfed before the call or she could have kept her video off while she was breastfeeding and just listened and chimed in with audio or she could have breastfed after the call was done. But no, she decided to call me on camera and my first impression was this lady is to see her naked breast on camera into a baby's mouth while I'm trying to have a, a conversation with her. At that point, I was already turned off and, they, and it was at the time where we had travel restrictions where I couldn't fly if I wanted to. And I was on a, a secret government no-fly list where they weren't letting me fly anyway. So I already figured I wasn't going to be able to make the show. So I wasn't taking them seriously. And I could barely hear anything they were saying. And I must have told her five or six times, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And she just ignored me and kept going. So I got to the point where I just hung up on them. A uh, couple weeks ago, after I, I happened to be in Mexico, my wife and I actually got our Mexican residency. Then I remembered about Anarchapulco. I'm like, holy crap. I can probably go now. I'm actually a Mexican resident. So I emailed the stage manager because I saw an email for the event and I told them that I'd be, uh, I'd be willing to come there. I got an email back saying that they couldn't pay me to come speak because they had already paid all the speakers, but they really wanted me to come. I responded saying, well, I've never charged to speak anywhere. So if you want me to come speak there, it would be free anyway. I just come in there because I want to be part of the event and I want to network with people. And they were extremely ex ex happy. And then uh, two days later, I got an email back stating, sorry, uh, for speaking to the producer, we, we, won't, we can't have you at the event. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I went on the Anarchapolco Telegram channel, and I see that they started spinning this narrative that they uninvited me from the event because I was rude to my assistant on a Zoom call, my female assistant. Now, I don't have an assistant, let alone a female assistant. And I wasn't really rude to anybody on a Zoom call, so I didn't even know what they were saying. But at the same time, I was wondering why they were trying to manufacture a narrative of toxic masculine misogynist already. I was like, that's weird for someone from Anarchapulco to do. So I went on the Anarchapulco website, and what did I find? I find a George Soros logo right on their website. Vice, big. And then at the top, it says, as seen on Vice. So I'm like... Okay, wait a second. Why are they showing an affiliation, an association, and promoting a George Soros publication? And not only promoting it, showing subordination to that publication by literally saying, Anarchapolco is so good because it was seen in George Soros's vice. So at that point, I made a video calling out Anarchapolco for being controlled opposition because they are proudly associating with George Soros. And we all know that anything George Soros is associated with, he funds. Am I right or am I right? He's got nothing but money. So if his name is on something, 99% chance you can tell that he's funding it. So then I started looking to Jeff Berwick, the dollar vigilante himself, to see why the hell he would be associated with George Soros. Well, what did I find? I find this is a guy who makes a living off of giving life advice and financial advice to people. But what is he like in his own life? I searched. Sure enough, what did I find? He has multiple sex crimes against women and men. And he was so proud of his sex crimes, one of them, that he actually carried around 
the newspaper clipping where he sexually assaulted a man's wife and he's married by the way himself so a married man sexually assaulting another man's wife because he was on too much drugs and alcohol and the and the husband actually took a bottle and broke it over his head and he was proud enough of this to carry the article around he also is had to flee from argentina with his wife when he tried to rape a man in a bathroom and it went to court and they tried to make the story that the man tried to rape him and his wife but the courts realized that it was really his wife and him trying to rape the man. So what did they do? They fled Argentina. On top of that, I also found out he took over two and a half million dollars from people for selling fake passports. Not only did people get scammed for tens of thousands of dollars, many got arrested. Then I found out he was involved in real estate scams. Then I found out that he was using his channel, the Dollar Vigilante, to run what they call pump and dump scams. He would invest into very, very cheap cryptos worth fractions of a penny, him and his friends. Then he would put out a report telling his thousands and thousands of followers, you guys got to buy this crypto. It's going to go crazy. And when he would do that, they would buy it. It would go up. And when what would he do? Him and his friends would sell. And 95% of the people he told to buy would get caught in the crash. It's called a pump and dump scam. And he did this multiple times. So when I found all this stuff about him, I made a video calling him out and saying, why are you going around giving life advice and financial advice when you're a known sexual and financial predator? And please explain why you have George Soros on your site. He made a nine minute long video that was released a couple days ago, not being able to explain any of it, saying that he didn't know the George Soros logo was on there. He doesn't know why it's on there. He wouldn't have put it on there, but it means absolutely nothing. And they can use it without copyright law or permission because they're anarchists. Made a lot of sense. And his reason for me calling him out, I'm a government agent. So like you said, there's a lot of infiltration. There's a lot of bad actors. They get these people a platform. They let them disseminate some good information to earn trust. But ultimately, these people are there to make money for themselves. Jeff Berwick's supposed to be this multi-gazillionaire, and all he wants to do is help you. Meanwhile, he charges you hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a monthly service to give you tips and to give you things. If he was really about helping people, why is he charging these people? If he's really making all that money, why does he need your few hundred dollars a month? It's a scam, ladies and gentlemen. He's a con artist, and he couldn't even he couldn't even explain himself. The only thing everybody ever says about me whenever all I do is tell the truth. You can tell from this interview. I'll tell the truth about myself, I'll tell the truth about others. And then what do the people do when I tell the truth about them? They tell everybody I'm a government agent, or they tell everybody I'm somehow discredited. Why? Because you can't argue the truth. The more you try to argue the truth with lies, the more you expose yourself. So what can you do? You attack the person telling the truth. And that's what I've been going through the last three years from the government, the media, and all these fake actors in the freedom movement. So Jeff Berwick, Dollar Vigilante, you just got exposed worldwide, my friend. And I want everybody to ask him. Ask him the same questions I did. He won't even deny the sex crime allegations. He just will ignore it. He'll ignore it. He'll, you could ask him and he'll just pretend you never asked. And if you ask him about the George Soros thing, maybe he'll call you a government agent too. Because, you know, you're only a, you're a government agent because you want to know why somebody is proudly affiliating themselves with George Soros on their personal website. Well, so what's the way out of this schlamassel? Well, the way out of this, number one, is to use the hashtag that I created, just say no. It's not just a hashtag. It's not just a statement. It's one of the biggest actions and the most important action everyone can take. Saying no is an action of self-defense, always. 
you can't say no to something unless somebody's trying to do something to you. So you are never the bad person for saying no, no matter what they tell you. You are always the righteous. You are always in the right if you choose to say no to something that you know is not right for you. So that's all everybody needs to do. And when we get enough people saying no around the world, it's what I call united non-compliance. And when you achieve the critical mass of united non-compliance, the government can never impose mandates because if the vast majority of people will not comply, there's no such thing as a mandate anymore because the mandate requires your compliance. So does a law. So does anything that they try to do. If you do simply not comply because you know it's wrong, then they cannot do it to you. And in order to make people not comply, we got to make them stronger. Before I used to say, uh, like the last couple of years, I said the only way I think Canadian men or men around the world are going to get stronger is by suffering more. They need to suffer more financially. They need to suffer more through another round of lockdowns to see what it's really like to have their freedom taken. But then a friend of mine, uh, Jekhoff, who actually, he's a professional bodybuilder who now lives in uh, Mexico. When I was down there, we had a discussion and he created an app and he's like, you know what, Chris, you're wrong. You're right about a lot of things, but you're wrong about one thing. He's like, we can actually train the men and the women in this country and around the world. We can make them stronger physically, mentally, spiritually, and they don't have to go through any more suffering. We can simply make the world stronger and more prepared to stand up for themselves. And I was like, how are we going to do that? And then he showed me his app and his app is a combination of fitness, nutrition, lifestyle routines, but most importantly, mental training, mind hacks, all things like this that are going to put you in the right state of mind to attain your goals, to increase your confidence, to be in a position where you're more likely to make decisions based on what's best for you and not doing what you're told. So that's one way we think that we can really help people. So we created the app and it's called Aesthetics Academy Pro and you can download it on the Google Play or Apple Store and it gives you, if you sign up to, there's a free trial going on right now. And if you sign up to it, you'll get direct access to Jack Off, my friend, and myself. And we do seminars. We do questions and answer about nutrition and fitness. And we do light, and we do all these different things to really change people's minds so they are more equipped to handle this reality that we're living in today. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, one question to the, uh, with regards to this opposition. So um, when we have this like Soros financed uh, opposition or financed by some other entity that's maybe on the other side, or, I don't know, um, what's that, what's the difference from like legitimate opposition is that basically that in the long term, they're now faking it and in the long term, they're going to switch to uh, whatever, what, what, what then makes sense for the, the long term goal of the agenda 20, 2030 or whatever. Is that what you, well, that's how what you, you have to watch? That's why it's pretty easy to see controlled opposition. Number one, follow the money. Who's funding them? Everybody calls me government controlled op paid opposition. Nobody pays me. I've had a business for the last 27 years. I've done very well. Nobody pays me. I sell t-shirts and merch while we're on tour and we sell them primarily to spread awareness. Because when somebody walks around with a shirt that says, just say no on it, It's a conversation starter and people ask what that means. And now all of a sudden you have a conversation where you're spreading awareness and waking people up. So we have a merch line for that purpose. I wrote a book 
that got banned by Amazon, the first and only book to be banned by Amazon before it went on sale. I didn't write it because I was trying to make millions and millions of dollars. I wrote it because I was trying to wake people up. I was trying to inform people. I was trying to inspire people. I was trying to educate people. That's it. Everything we do is for the benefit of society to overcome the hardships that they're doing to us all. And okay, what are the other signs of like these these controlled opposition people? You say okay, follow the money, so they they're trying to make money off of it, and then well, like, a lot of people are trying to make money. Everybody needs to everybody needs to eat. Like my friend Jackoff made that app because he he wants to have a way of, a way of life too. Don't get me wrong. However, if somebody is getting money from nefarious people like the George Soros logo, you have to question that. And then if somebody ha has a past that they're not willing to address then you'd have, to, you'd have to look at that. And if you're just simply telling the truth about someone and all they can do is not even address it, just disregard it, and, they're, and, they, and they come back insulting the way you look or, or accusing you of being a government agent, those are the people you have to look out for. It's pretty easy. I tell the truth. I tell the truth. So if somebody's going out of their way to try to discredit somebody or try to talk shit about somebody or try to, or try to make people not believe that person, then you have to suspect that person because why won't they just tell the truth? It's that simple. All the, all the bad actors won't tell, they don't tell the truth. And there's only, there's two types of controlled opposition. There's the loud ones like Berwick that come out and gain a following so they can lead people astray and they can make money. And then there's this other one and they don't get the attention that they deserve. They're called the whisperer. These are the people that try to stay anonymous. They have like 20 different social media accounts, all with fake pictures. And they'll just go on a, a thread and be like, Chris Sky has controlled opposition. And they'll run off. They just spread those seeds of doubt. And real controlled opposition can't even exist without the whisperer. Because if I put controlled opposition in there, nobody's going to trust them until a whisperer starts making the people distrust the real people of the movement. Get it? Mm -hmm. So it's a combination. They set up controlled opposition and then they set up all these little agents to start sowing seeds of distrust in the masses towards the real people. So it gives the ability for the controlled opposition to rise up and gain credibility. Yeah. So you have, and then maybe later on, so these, these people make a name for themselves and then uh, all of a sudden their agenda changes and, you know, before they said the truth or like 90% truth or whatever, and then boom, they switch to the other side and say, now, okay, we do not need any nations anymore because it's, um, it's better in the regions, but the regions should be without any, any uh, option for themselves or so whatever. You, you got know, so. it. The moment they start spewing globalist propaganda and globalist ideas, Great Reset ideas, World Economic Forum ideas, you know 100% exactly what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have another question for, from the audience. From, from Europe, the Q movement looks to be strong in the US, but mostly um, uh, people or this person uh, think it could be um, controlled opposition in order to calm people down. Uh, does this play... That's what I try to tell everybody. Q is the biggest psyop. Q was going on long before COVID, ladies and gentlemen. Long before COVID. Any day now, the elites are going to get arrested. All the pedophiles are going to get arrested. The white hats are coming. That's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. It was a lie before COVID. It is a lie now. What have the white hats done for you? 
oh, you saw something that you interpreted and somebody else interpreted, these so-called Q drops. Ladies and gentlemen, Q is a PSYOP that's no different than an election campaign. They're both designed for one reason, to make you believe that somebody else is coming to save you so you sit on the couch, do nothing, and sit there and be like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Donald Trump is going to win and he's going to save me. Or everything's going to be fine. The White Hats are going to be arresting people within weeks. How many years, years, have the Q people been saying the exact same mantra? And it's always just around the corner when these massive arrests and all these massive revelations are going to happen. Yet they never happen. But the Q people will sit there and wait. In fact, when I questioned the Q theory, you know what they said about me? I had been replaced by a clone. They literally took two pictures of me, taken about six months apart, and started circling random parts of my face that they said were different that proved that I had been replaced by a clone. You know, they just cloned me, got all the exact same tattoos. They paid off my wife so she wouldn't care that they just killed me off and gave her a new husband. You know, the clone had a bigger dick, so she was happy with it. Like, give me a friggin' break. This is the stuff that they actually believe, though. They actually are that stupid to believe that I got kidnapped, replaced by a robot or a clone, and that's why I came out and said Q isn't real. If Q is real, who is Q? If Q is real, what's Q's end goal? If Q is real, when is it going to happen? Oh, Q is anonymous. Oh, Q is going to save the world. And oh, it's, it's going to happen anytime. Just keep waiting. You guys can keep waiting. I'm a man of action. I'll take action. You guys, you sit there and wait and do nothing. You know what the saying is? All evil needs to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And what does the average Q man do? Sit on their couch, look at their computer screen, and wait for the next Q drop that tells them, oh, just around the corner, this person's going to get arrested. The children are being saved from tunnels, ladies and gentlemen. And Chris Guy is now a clone because he doesn't believe this. Well, I think Sorry, guys. I actually, I actually have need proof for my shit. And you guys posting YouTube videos of somebody telling you, trust me, bro, is not proof. It's ridiculous. Sorry. I, th- I think it's good. And that- I just, now I just pissed off. Now I just pissed off all, the whole Q movement. Watch, within two days, I'm a government agent because I don't believe in the Q movement. That's going to be the next thing. I'm controlled opposition because I bash the Q movement. Hey, Q movement, until you can tell me something concrete, you're about as crazy as the corona bat. Thank you. Well, I guess it's important that we get uh, that we get into action. I mean, that's true. That's I, I really believe that you. I mean, that's also what we do. I mean, we speak out. I think it's very important that you know you keep the the voice of the dissident uh, going because I think especially now that so many. Um, uh, you know, detailed surface of of the vaccine injuries, and more and more people are waking up to not wanting to take uh, the next uh, shot, and all that. You know, there's more and more people, at least in Germany, and what we can see, like having more and more questions. And I think it's a very good time for for waking wakening up and uh, for also starting to to say no, as you say, and then um, you know, like take action into like trying to push that ship into a different direction. Question for all the people that still believe in the vaccine. How many times does the government have to prove him to be lying to you? When the vaccine first came out, it was 95% effective. 
If you get the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. You're not going to give COVID to others. And you're only going to need two shots. Now, all of a sudden, you can still get COVID. You can still pass it on to others. And you need a shot every couple months. But when you tell people this, they're like, they never said you weren't going to get COVID. They never said you weren't going to have to take more shots. But that's exactly what they said, literally over and over. People from all around the world told you exactly that. You believed them like idiots. You took the jabs. You got sick. And then they literally just lied to you and said, oh, well, we never said it was not going to make you get sick. The definition of a vaccine means it's supposed to provide you immunity from the disease and prevent you from passing the disease on to others. But because your ego and your brain power is so fragile, you will literally allow them to change definitions on the fly and literally allow them to lie to your face. I can play you a clip right now of Anthony Fauci saying unequivocally, the vaccine is 95% effective. If you get the vaccine, you will not get COVID and you will not pass it on to others. And then I can play a clip of him six months later saying, oh, the vaccine was never meant to prevent uh, you from getting it and never meant to prevent transmission. And you show that to the average vaccinated person. And even after showing them the first video, they will still look you in the eye and say, he never said that. (laughs) It is mass psychosis, mass brainwashing, and ultimately mass denial based upon weakness of mind. It goes back to that weakness. A strong person will acknowledge, I made the wrong choice. I got played for a fool. A weak person will literally deny the bold-faced, indisputable evidence in front of their face. Just like the cheating woman. You show her the, the video of her husband having sex with the other woman. Oh, it wasn't him. Or that's not them. Or that video's from before we met. They come up with any rationalization to continue believing the lie. And that's where we are now. If you're one of those people that took five shots, you're one of the stupidest, weakest, most easily manipulated humans, not just on planet Earth today, but in human existence. And of course, you don't want to admit that. You want to pretend like you're just doing the right thing and you're making the right choice. No, all you were doing was refusing to do any research, refusing to actually make your own choice, and just literally doing as you were told because it was easier. That's it. And because you took the easy way out, you screwed yourself. How many people do you know of that lost their job, career, et cetera, because they didn't take a vaccine? I know many. How many of them regret their decision for not taking the vaccine? None, not one. How many people do you know took the vaccine against their will, said, I had no choice, the big lie. I needed to take it for work. I needed to take it to travel. I needed to take it to see my grandmother. None of those were needs. Those were all you making the easy way out choice. I don't want to look for another job. I don't want to wait to travel. So I chose to take the vaccine. You didn't have no choice. You made the choice that you felt was easiest. And guess what? How many of those stupid people regret taking the poison injection, if they're even alive to regret it? Answer, very, very many. So was it a good idea to take five jabs and wear three masks? Obviously not. So if you still think it was, 
you're one of the stupidest and most easily manipulated people that ever graced the face of the earth. And you're going to pay the consequences. If you don't think, if you don't know that every single COVID jab you took made you less healthy, reduced your life expectancy, then you're a complete moron. And every single one you took caused exponential more damage to your body. It's that simple. I like that you're so outspoken about these things and also I like your dynamics, you know, I mean, just to to um, that it's so important really just to stand there and say I'm not complying. I'm just not playing along. You know, that's it. And I've experienced that my, you know, I've experienced that myself also, you know, you just I, I like in the kindergarten, I went up the stairs and, you know, without a mask and no one ever asked me to wear a mask. You know, it's just just it's your choice. You really can. It's it's also the I don't know, I guess it's the the strength that you exude, you know, like by doing these things that you believe in. I think it's it's good. It helps you. It's never easy to do the right thing, but it's always right to do the right thing. That's what people need to remember. That's great. Yeah, it's. A, I guess it's a great closing statement, unless you have any more to add. Honestly, I think we covered it all. I just want everybody to realize that they have the power, and we are at a special time in the world. We have never had more people awake and aware and connected globally than we have right now. So we can use this to our advantage and we can use this as an opportunity to reshape the globe, not in the way they want for their great reset, but in the way we want for our new beginning. That's what I'm telling everybody. We can make this work for us and we are going to. Yes, I think so too. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for your inspiring words. And, um, Thank you guys. Yeah. And I absolutely love Germany. Berlin is one of my... I hate cities. I'm going to be completely honest. I hate traffic. I hate crowding it. I hate all. When I was in Berlin, and I've been there multiple times, three times now in my life, I love it. I've been all over Germany, but I just, I just love the organization. I love the efficiency. I love the attitude of the German people, except for the wokeness that is now creeping into German society. We got to stop that because it reminds me a little bit of Canada, and it's quite scary. And I know you know what I'm talking about, Wolfgang. <laughs> Thanks Thank so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for great talking you. to you. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Yeah, great. Wolfgang, der <laughs> tolle, tolle, toll dynamisch, ja, irgendwie mitreißend, ja. And uh, interesting. This takes us to the end of our uh, session, and I'm happy to repeat what we have said in the beginning we are now as a registered foundation and i'm happy to not have the responsibility on my own for what's going on but that we have a great team with ulrike kamara stefan kuhn renate holzeisen and others who will also overlook the incoming money and it's all going to be transparent and i hope that with respect to our constitution i will be able to share some more good news next week we have a new bank account and we would be very happy to receive donations now to this clear cut form I can only second that. Help Viviane. She has a, a difficult time here. She's just continuing what we set out to do. And I would, uh, I really uh, want to help her. 
and I think she needs help and the Corona Committee needs to continue in a, critic, uh, a critical way. It's unprofessional, but we want to remain honest. We want to bring the tasks that we assumed to an end. And it's not an easy thing to do these days, and I would be happy to see a lot of people sticking to us because we will get stronger and we will certainly find more people and it'll certainly grow and i was very happy i um uh, it's not my way of speaking the way um Yaman did just now it was um really um thrilling there's a lot of truth in it um, life is hard but we grow stronger if we accept this Wolfgang, I'd like to add that life is beautiful, and I want to reject that we are prof not professional. I think we are very professional, and I think others who want to be more professional than we are... Um... Well, professional is always if you do something for money. Ah, okay, good. Well, in that sense, we are not professional, but uh, content-wise, I do think we are, and I also do think that it's very important that discussion is going on, and I think it's a very important topic to me that we are live here, and I think that is it shows that we are honestly working on the things that was our intent right from the beginning and that we don't uh, go with uh, nice and uh, recharged videos and uh, how mistakes happens and we sue it's not manicured and i personally like that very much naked skin so to say and in this sense um i wish you all a wonderful evening weekend and see you next week bye bye